All right, Brother Paul. How you doing this morning, hey, I'm man? I'm doing great. My goodness. Beautiful drive up through here. Great to be here. Yeah. Did uh did you leave the cold weather in, in Ohio? Was it you know, cold when you left? It or? was actually uh, on Sunday when I left, it was 68 degrees in Ohio. So what, 68 in Ohio? It was, right. And my sisters are in Florida, and it was like 71 down there. So, But it's Ohio. My goodness. It'll, yeah. it'll change. It changes a lot in Ohio. Yeah. But it's finally coming. It was great walking or driving down here, seeing the, the buds starting on the trees down yeah. here. You're probably like a week, week and a half ahead of us in Ohio. So Yeah. But, it's it's, bloom, it's it's It won't be long, and all this stuff will be green. It seems yeah. like it happens overnight. It does, yeah. A little bit of rain here. just wakes everything up. So, yeah. Yeah. That's great. No. It does. What's up, Brother Blake? Shoot, not much. Just here ready for the... Ready for the interview. We've been looking forward to this <laughs> yeah. one for a while. Yeah, guys. And if you're listening, uh, this is Paul Stutzman. He's driven all the way from Ohio to come and share his stories. He's lived an amazing life. Paul is an adventurer. I mean, in the true sense. I This, this guy has done some stuff that will make you want to go in and make some edits to your bucket list. You have done some really cool adventures, Paul, um, and a author of, he's going on 13 books now, right? That's right. The number 13 was a children's book. I tell <laughs> I mean, people I finally reached the pinnacle of writing a child's book. <laughs> and just, a, just an amazing life story in general. So many u- unique experiences that you've had and uh, places that you've been and, and um yeah, I, I just we're just so thankful to have you here, brother. I want to start. I, I got to start with your childhood because it's extremely interesting to me. Um, the the culture and the the Amish culture, the Mennonite. So I've been to Ohio one time, and it was for a race called Bob's Big Timber Backyard Ultra. And it's in Glen, I think Glendale or Glen Glenmont. Yeah, yeah, he's a friend of mine. You know Bob? I sure do know Bob. Yeah. I've, I've been to his farm. I've been. I I I've walked on his farm. He's a great guy. Bob yeah. is an awesome human oh, being. Bob man. is a wonderful man. Yeah, his his uh, son-in-law goes to church with me, or it did. Yeah, uh, and it, his son-in-law and daughter they're runners too. I see him. On, I'm I'm on the trail in Millersburg where I'm. I live in Berlin, Ohio, but Millersburg's where the rails to trails is. And uh, and I meet his his daughter and son-in-law out there running quite a bit. But yeah, Bob's a great guy. He's got a wonderful, beautiful farm. And I read about that race that he had. So yeah. you were at that race. Yeah, I was at that Unbelievable. race. Unbelievable. Yeah, I got third place there at that race. And Bob, it, it, what amazed me, I don't want to get too far off subject, but right. that was, was my only experience in Ohio is just how, um, you know, Bob has this farm. It's been in his family for generations. It's yeah. beautiful country. And he just opens it up. To, to to us right. to come out and he's just so he's just so loving and willing to share what he has and what he's worked his whole life for with everybody you know everybody that wants to come and show up yeah and um so that was kind of my my i guess first view of kind of that amish country right. and i don't know anything about the culture i don't know anything about what it's like to to grow up that way about uh, what what the belief system is, or even what it's all about. Period. Uh, mm-hmm. I just want to pick your brain for a minute on what that was like, Paul. Well, the man, the man you met, Bob. He's a school teacher, and he's an incredible man. But in my community, there's thousands of Bobs, and mm-hmm. that's the culture in our community. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was actually born Amish and raised 
when my family left the Amish when I was just a little young boy, but we went to what's called a conservative Mennonite church where and Amish people don't drive cars and they don't have electricity. And uh, my dad uh, switched to what's called conservative Mennonite where he could drive a car and have electricity. Yep. And also they left uh, the Amish. It's, it's a, uh, it's a culture. Uh, it's, it's uh, Anabaptist. Uh, they believe very similarly to what most other uh, like Mennonites would believe. However, the one thing about the Amish people is uh, their belief is that you live the best life you can and then you hope that gets you to heaven. You know, mm. we know mm. that we are saved by grace and, and we have the assurance of salvation. And so that's one thing some of the Amish people struggle with is the assurance of salvation. Now that's changing a little bit. There's, I, I'm a good friend with Amish preachers and they're starting to realize that there's, there's more to that. But it's an incredible culture, no radio, no TV, and until recently, no cell phones. But uh, they help each other. If a barn burns down, the, the community comes together. In one day, they'll build a barn. Mm-hmm. And it's very family-oriented, very helpful. Uh, if somebody an accident happens, they will not sue. And so it's, it's just an incredible culture. Now, it's changing a good bit. We are, in my area, in Berlin, Ohio, we have 40,000 Amish people around us. The largest Amish settlement in the world, bigger than Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And so what is done... The town I live in, uh, I'm guessing it's a small town, probably maybe 700 people, something like that. We have between five and six million tourists coming through there now to see wow, the Amish man. community. And because of that, is I my job was at a restaurant as a manager of 700-seat restaurant. So I had a huge restaurant that I ran because of the tourist industry that the Amish brought the people in. Yeah. So now yeah. we have the largest distribution of furniture, the craftsmen, we are the largest producer of Swiss cheese. We, we beat Wisconsin on that. And so it's a growing, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's the, the lowest unemployment in Ohio. And it's just, uh, it's, it's a great community. Uh, just wonderful people just caring for each other. I mean, it sounds amazing. Yeah. It's, I, I know it sounds amazing yeah. from the outside. I know it would be if we, not, you know, if we went, if we tried to live that lifestyle, it would take, it, that'd be a hard transition. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine the struggles um, that, that, well, it, it, for lack of modern technology, how yeah. big of a shift that would have to be, man. It would be. And, and some people can't do it and they, and they switch over. But uh, a lot of people, it's literally the Amish people have the greatest retention in, at any church in America. Wow. Which hmm. is pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, Paul, what was it? I mean, I have to ask, what was it like growing up with no television, no radio, I mean, everybody around you is is living. I assume. Are you going to public schools? Going, Are you going yeah, to school? I'm with- going to public school, and at school now, there's probably I'd say about half of us were was conservative. The Amish went to the eighth grade. Okay. Uh, as a conservative man, I was allowed to go to the tenth grade till I was sixteen, and but as a kid in school, I'd go to school, and these young kids were talking about the TV shows they're watching, the Beverly Hillbillies, and I thought, man, I'm so deprived. I don't have a radio, I don't have TV. I thought I was deprived. Mm-hmm. So what I did is, I had four sisters, and I'm the only brother. So what I would do is, I'd go out in the woods. I'd play in the woods, I'd climb trees, I'd dam the creeks, and I'd be outside just playing all the time. And years later, as I look back, I realized I was the fortunate one. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I was the one that wasn't tied in on, on watching shows. I was reading books. I would go every two weeks 
a book mobile would come to my little hometown, little hometown called Benton, Ohio, probably 150, 200 people. I'd walk half a mile barefoot to go to that bookmobile. I was allowed to get six books. That lasted me about a week. I'd read it one a day. <laughs> and then I'd have to wait another week for the bookmobile to show up. And then a few years later, I was in, in town with my dad, and we were parked outside a building, and I looked in the building. There's books everywhere. And I said, Dad, what is this? He said, it's a library. It's books that you can go in and take them out. I said, take me in there now. <laughs> So I went in there and got a card, and uh, again, you could only get so many books, but uh, and then it also cost two cents a day if you were late. Mm -hmm. So I was never late, uh, and I, I just I just read and read and read. I read about outer space, uh, Mike Mars, and I just read any anything that my mind could grasp. Mm -hmm. And even actually, a lot of times I read books that were even more than I could comprehend. And then as I grew older, uh, I I was able to uh, well older. Like we were janitors at our church, and so every year I'd get paid three dollars. <laughs> that was my that was my pay for Man. taking care of the helping did dad take care of the church. We got paid three hundred bucks. It wasn't enough, but anyway. Uh, so I had some money in the bank. I had five bucks in the bank in Millersburg, Adams Bank, and so my my friend, uh, my cousin, my best friend, one day showed me a, a Hardy Boy book, Frank and Joe Hardy, and I read this book. And I thought, Man, this is the best book I've ever read. And so I was on, on town one day with dad and I was just in this little shop called the quality shop. And here was a whole set of Hardy Boy books. And so uh, the price was a dollar and a quarter. So I told dad, I need my bank book. So next time I was in town, I took my little bank book over across the street to the Adams bank. And I told the lady, I want to withdraw a dollar and a quarter. So I went over and bought the book and the lady rang it up and she said, it's a dollar and a dollar 29. I said, no, it's not. It's right here, dollar 25. I was like nine years old, 10 mm -hmm. years old. And she said, sales tax. That was my introduction <laughs> to the Ohio sales tax. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you would take that out of a little boy? And she said, I'll give it to you for a buck and a quarter, but uh, in the future, it's $1.29. I took that book. And since my bank account now went from $5 to about 2 uh, or less than 5 it was, uh, well, 4 something. Anyway, I took that book to school, and I convinced six boys that this is the best reading ever. And I said, if you give me a quarter... I'll let you read it. So I had six guys give me a quarter piece. <laughs> so $1.50. And so I bought the whole Hardy Boy series with that first purchase uh, for a dollar oh, a quarter. Man. And profit had made 21 cents a book after that too. So I still have the series at home. And so I was downtown at Rome at the, the bookstore across from where we yeah, were last yeah. day. Went and talked to that guy. I, was, I stopped in there and talked to him for like half an hour. He's got the set of Hardy Boy books there. And so oh, I, I stood man. there and talked to him for a long time about that story. But that was my upbringing. It was reading. And so yep. as I grew older, uh, in our church setting, uh, education was not important. Now, to me, it was. And so as I grew older and had some, uh, did some, some work where I was able to afford a record player, well, so I now I go to the library and I start buying, not buying, but get taken records like classical music. Yeah. And so I educated myself on classical music, books on architecture. And so uh, the time came uh, for me to quit high school in, in the 10th grade. 10th grade, yeah. And so uh, I told dad that uh, the morning of my junior year, I got out of bed and dad said, what are you doing out of bed? And I said, I'm going to school. He said, no, you're not. I said, I am. I like, literally got dressed and went on the bus and went to high school, finished high school. What was his reaction? You know what? He, he wasn't real happy because in our, in our culture, I had four sisters. Now three of them were working and the parents get the money until you're mm. 20, 21 or get married. Well, 
that was money that would have come in dad's way and he needed it. And so it hurt him in that regard. But in retrospect, I think he was kind of proud of me that, you know what, I did do that because yeah. I found out my dad was kind of, was a quiet guy, an incredible man. My dad was an incredible godly man, married 68 years. And May the 7th of 2016, uh, he was, my mom had surgery. And so they were both in a, you know, kind of a convalescent home recovering. So we put dad in there because he's starting to get Alzheimer's. But he still knew, knew us, but we, we couldn't keep him at home until mom came home. And that Saturday when I left his room, I told dad, I said, dad, I'm going to go see mom yet. And uh, he said, I love her so much. 68 years marriage, and he could still love his wife so much. That night he died. That was the last words I heard my dad say. And the next morning I went to mom's room, and I said, mom, dad died last night thinking she's going to be devastated. And she raised her hands up and she said, oh, that's so good. Praise the Lord. That weekend she died on Mother's Day. Same wow, week. Man. And the uh, doctor said it was complications from the surgery and a broken heart. And that was my upbringing. And so mm. as I grew older, what I, dad was kind of a quiet guy. Dad was a poet. Uh, he was a really good poet. And so uh, he'd do poetry. And uh, when I went to dad, I was 58 years old when I decided to do the Appalachian Trail after my wife died of breast cancer. And I determined to do that as a healing journey. But I thought, you know what, I should go to dad. I'm 58 years old and, and talk to dad about my decision. And dad said, are you sure that's the right thing to do to quit your job? Because it was, I'd finally had a good job. I had finally got out of debt, kids through college. I was making a good deal of money. I was running a 700 seat restaurant yeah. and getting stock and, and some profit money. And I uh, told dad, dad, I prayed about it and I, I feel it's the right thing to do. And uh, so fast forward a couple of years, dad's 86 years old and he's still working. And cause that's all he did his life is work. And uh, so one day I was over at his house and he's, uh, he might've been 87, uh, maybe even 88. And he said, to my, he said, son, he said, I'm going to retire. I said, dad, are you sure that's the right thing to do? <laughs> at 88 a couple of weeks old. later, I got over there and dad said it wasn't the right thing to do. <laughs> No kidding, man. Dad, dad didn't hunt or fish. He just, he worked. And then him, yeah. and him and my mom did it everything together. Yeah. And it was, and it was yeah. just an incredible uh, upbringing. And so, and that's, that's what formed my, my, my lifestyle and my desire for nature. So that when my wife passed away, uh, about a, about a month and a half after Mary, my wife's name is Mary. Uh, she was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2002. And, um, they had surgery, and, and I still remember the day I was in, uh, she was in the hospital bed after surgery. The doctor came in the room, and he closed the door, and he said, uh, we got the, the surgery went okay, but the cancer spread. And uh, I said, well, what, what are we looking at? And he said, it, it could be as short as two months, and it could be two years. And that's pretty devastating when you get that kind of. Yeah. And at that point in time, we'd been married uh, 28 years. And... Um, so we determined to fight it, and uh, we had, it was a struggle, a lot of chemo and ports in and out and infections, and uh, she, she lived four years before she passed away. And then uh, about a month and a half after she passed away, uh, I love to hike. Uh, in the restaurant business, October is our prime season with uh, leaves changing and just tourists everywhere. So I would, I would just work day and night during October, because that was a huge money month yeah. for us. And then the first week in November, I would book a trip out to uh, the Grand Canyon. And I'd hike the Grand Canyon. And I've done that 12 times. And I'd just go down and hike 
down through the different rock formations. And as I deeper had hike in the canyon, the peace would just come over me of hiking down and through there. But so after my wife died, my cousin said, why don't we go hiking in Zion? I love Zion Canyon. Mm -hmm. And so we went out to Zion and uh, I'm hiking up uh, Angel's Landing Trail. And it was early morning and there's a thunderstorm coming. So as you go up, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Zion Canyon or not, but it's, it's, there's a trail there called uh, Angel's Landing where uh, there's an area in there where there was kind of an indentation in the sandstone and it started to rain. So I sat in the back of that sandstone and it's, it's now daylight, but it starts to just pour. And across from me, there's this long, huge, big cliff. And uh, I just prayed and I said, God, I would love to see a waterfall come down over there, thinking that's not possible. But all of a sudden, this huge waterfall just came down over that cliff formation. And I just looked at that. I thought, oh, my goodness, God, this is gorgeous. And that day, as I hiked up in, in, that, in uh, Angel's Landing, I just felt peace up there. Mm-hmm. And I realized, out in nature, hiking, I can find peace. And that's when the idea came into my head about hiking the Appalachian Trail, 2,176-mile hike from Georgia to Maine through 14 states. Now, I can't do that. Uh, I mean, I could get a couple of weeks off of work, but I couldn't get off six months. And so I'm 58 years old. Kids are out of college. I'm out of debt, fortunately. And I thought, you know what? You could actually do this. You could do this. And I, as I still remember, one morning I'm at my counter at home. I'm reading the newspaper. This has been, I've still read the newspaper, uh, which is another thing I used to do as a kid. We'd get, I'd read the newspaper cover to cover. Um, and I did that for years. If, if I went on vacation, my secretary would save newspapers. Well, now I read them online. But uh, I, a, I, I read an obituary of a, of a banker in a local, in a neighboring community. He had like two long columns of his life. He was in all kinds of activities, and I just sat there wondering, did he ever do things with his family? Did he ever do things for God? He did good things, without a doubt. He did good things. But did you send anything up ahead? And uh, I was just praying, dialogue, because I've been thinking about the possibility of leaving my job. It didn't make any sense. And I was just praying that morning, God, I said, I feel something in me saying, it's time to leave that restaurant. And I'm saying, but it doesn't make any sense. And I just felt the Holy Spirit say, would you leave that job if you knew I wanted you to? And I said, well, yeah, of course I would, because I'm, I'm open to following your lead. And it just and, and the message just came, leave. I'm going to meet you on that trail, and we're going to walk. And that's when I decided I'm going to do the Appalachian Trail. But it was a really hard decision. I'm 58 years old. I'm making more money than I've ever made in yeah. my lifetime. And to be able to walk away from that, it's not just, it's not just the money. It's also, as men, we like to be in charge of something. So I'm in charge of a 700-seat restaurant. I've got a gift shop. I've got a, an 80-room uh, motel that's under my jurisdiction. So I've got control, got a little mm-hmm. bit of power. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels kind of good. <clears throat> Walk away from that to nothing. It was a yeah. hard decision. And I, 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 I lamented that and prayed. And it just, I knew it was right. I knew it was right because I just felt God saying, I'll meet you there. I'll be with you. So I decided, I said, okay, God, if you're going to be my hiking partner, I'll, I'll do it. I will do it. I'll go out there. And I'd always growing up, growing up in my, after high school, I would have all these interesting things that would happen, stories. And at the restaurant, I'd had a little file that I would write stories in there. I thought someday I want to write a book. And the book was going to be called, It's About Living, just about life. Yeah. And so I thought, yeah, you know what, if I do the Appalachian Trail hike, I could maybe write some of those stories in a book form. Well, once I got out on that trail, I realized that something special was happening out there. 
Yeah. Nature is very healing. Now, even if, even if in my case, I'm a Christian, I'm out there walking with God. Even if you're not a Christian, nature is healing. It just is. And uh, so I'm out there. I'd never camp more than one day in my life. I went out and bought all college <laughs> equipment. Fortunately, I went to an outfitter and there's a young man there that had just done the hike. So he, he knew what was the good equipment. Yeah. And that's one thing I would recommend to people. If they're interested in doing a long distance hike, get good equipment. 100%. My dad always preached that all his life is buy quality. And, uh, and so I, I did, I did not skimp on, on, on equipment. Now, everything I had back then is obsolete now. It's, everything's been upgraded, but I had good equipment. And as um, I was 58 at the time, and so I needed a little bit more comfort than some people. So I had a, I had a, a big Agnes tent, a thermo rest. And so I wanted to have everything inside me. So I bought what's called a seat house too, a two person tent, mm-hmm. eight ounces more, but I could have everything inside with me and I wanted that. And so uh, I made the decision I was going to quit my job. I, I wrote up my uh, retirement announcement and I just could not send that. I just could not send that. And uh, I walked around that restaurant that day and they needed, as a manager, they needed that a good amount of time. And finally, one of my assistants says, Paul, hit that send button and just do it. Just do it. <laughs> and so I, I did. I hit send and, and I was retired. And I'll tell you what, though, it was, it was, it's, it, it takes a lot of courage to do that. Well, here's the thing, Paul. I think there's a lot that we can break down even up until this point. We haven't even dug into the actual mission, one of many missions that you've been on. Um, first of all, at 58 years old, I think most humans, especially in America, society's telling them at 58 years old, it's time to slow down, man. Mm-hmm. You, you 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 can't go hike. You can't go on a two thousand two hundred whatever mile hike. No, <laughs> like how many people do you know? They 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 get in their in their late forties, early fifties, and they just they just think they're too old to go out and experience adventure, right? Yeah. Go out and really have experience true adventure and break new ground in life. That's so inspiring to me, brother. I'm thirty three years old. You're telling me you went and hiked the Appalachian Trail at 58 years old? You know that why that inspires me so no, much? Because no, it, <laughs> it, it tells me that I have, Lord willing, a lot of life left mm-hmm. to live. Oh, a lot just, of oh, life yeah. left you're to just, live, you're man. Just getting a good start. You were just getting started at 58. Yeah. Look at what you've done, yeah. man. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Um, I want to I want to back up real quick, Paul, and dig in to what we would call your testimony. It's, it's very unique to me, again, you coming up in an environment surrounded by strong men and women of faith. But there were also, I assume, a lot of rules. There were also a lot of things that you couldn't do that maybe you wanted to do. But you, it sounds like you have maintained that faith in Jesus that faith in God throughout the course of your life. What is your testimony? When did it when did it become when did your faith become real to you and become a part set in concrete, a part of your day-to-day life and journey? This might surprise you. Age 40. Age 40. I got to hear it. I got to hear your testimony, Paul. <laughs> I was born I tell people I was I was born saved. I was born the doctor slapped me in my butt. I started breathing, and Dad said, "You need Jesus." <laughs> yeah, and, and I was raised in that environment in a church where, yeah, we had rules, um, and the preacher would s- preach, and it's you know he's he, um, there again. Our preachers were eighth grade educated; 
they were they were saved and and i always there's some people that sometimes regret some of their upbringing in our church i always say that they did the best they could with the knowledge they had but we had literally had written rules what we could and could not do and you could not go to sporting events you could not go to ferris festivals you couldn't go to movies uh even fireworks and you had to dress a certain way uh women wore coverings and uh on cars you couldn't have uh convertibles and it couldn't be red um and so i followed those rules until i didn't but when i followed them i was a good kid and i mean i did nothing wrong i didn't cuss but the preacher said you're going to hell and i'm thinking well that's not a good alternative and i, I wanted to go to heaven and it's like he said you got to accept jesus in your heart you got to change your life and i'm thinking I don't have to change anything because I wasn't yeah. doing anything wrong. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, it is harder for someone like that to come to Jesus than there's somebody who lives out in the world in sin and realize I got to change because I wasn't mm -hmm. do, I was listening to my parents. I wasn't doing anything wrong. But then as I got older uh, and went to high school and some of my <clears> friends <throat> a little bit older, um, they invited me to go along to ball games. They invited me to go along to Ferris and I did it. And at first I felt guilty. I thought, you man, you're going to hell. And, uh, but I did it anyway. Yeah. And then I had in my Bible, I had this uh, little list of things you shouldn't do. And so as boys, we, as you broke them, we check them off, of course. And uh, I broke them all. And so at some point in time, the church sort of said, you know what, you might as well just leave. Uh, but, uh, and I struggled with that. I struggled with, I struggled with law, with the law. And uh, I got married at 23, a really wonderful lady. And uh, I had a goal. By age 35, I was going to be a millionaire, able to retire. So I, I the economy was pretty decent, but so I, and I bought a farm to do a subdivision. I loved, I love real estate. I love construction. Mm -hmm. Well, then uh, Jimmy Carter came along with 22% interest rates. And it just, instead of becoming a millionaire, I, be, I, was, I became negative $200,000, mm, yeah, you know, yeah. and it was just everything I was doing, the economy just messed it up. And I had uh, bought a, I mean, I was running a convenience store and, and I was not a try, I was not afraid to try anything. I was not afraid to be aggressive and try things. But when you're paying 22% interest on a business that might make six to 10% return, it just, it doesn't add up. And um, fortunately I was, and I loved restaurants. So I was able to get in the restaurant business and sold the convenience store. And uh, even the first couple of restaurants I was at, I just wasn't making enough money to even pay the bills. And uh, I got to the point when, one night at age 40 in my living room, I just went on my knees in tears and said, God, I am done. Everything I've tried to do has not worked. I am now willing to turn everything over to you and I will follow wherever that takes me. And uh, within weeks, I got a job offer that uh, my salary doubled. And within a couple of, year, couple of years, my salary quadrupled because of stock and taxes and, it, mm -hmm. and, it, and, and that negative 200,000 was erased and I got out of debt. My wife, and I was actually, literally, I had bought a house. My first house I bought was when I was 19 and I fixed it up and at age 23, when I got married, I had a house paid for, I was out of debt at age 23. Wow. That's why I thought by 35, I'll be a millionaire. Um, but life happens and um, I got back in debt and it took me another 30 years to get back out of debt until I was 54. And I still remember my wife was in the hospital the last year of her life. Um, and I came in the hospital in May of, of 2006. She died in September that year. And uh, I walked in the hospital bed with the very last house payment. I said, honey, we're out of debt. 
And she looked at me and said, oh, my goodness. She said, that's great. Because we had planned to do all these things in our upper 50s, retired, do some mission work, church work. We waited too long, you know. And uh, it's people tend to do that. They've always got that someday we'll do this. Someday we'll do this. And they miss the journey. Come on, brother. You know? Yeah. And it's the, it's, it's the journey is where the joy is at. It's so often people reach that goal. And it's like, this is it. This is all yep. there is to it, you know, and uh, it's the, it's the journey. Uh, and it's the same way when I did the Appalachian trail every day, I'd get up with the goal of that sign on Matkataden. And uh, the day I got up there, I just, it was an emotional wreck realizing that I have just finished a goal, but not what, not what, yep. not what. Yep. And so that's, that's, that's been my life story up till, till I retired was, was being in debt, getting out of debt and God, what is it? What do you want from me? What is it that you want from me? Can I, can I trust you? Can I trust you? Will you really be with me on that trail? Mm. Will you be really, will you be there? When God makes a promise, he keeps it. And that hike on that trail, the hardest thing I've ever done, the hardest thing I've ever done was that trail. Um, but it teaches you so many lessons. I remember that first day I got to a stamp gap down in, in, in Georgia where the Appalachian Trail starts. And I st stood there, it's starting to rain. The person that brought me there, the car is going down the road. And I'm just sitting there weeping, standing this trail, thinking, your wife's gone, you just gave up a good job, and here you're standing in a parking lot, and it's raining, and you're going to walk 2,200 miles to Maine. And I see this tree with a white blaze on it. And in my mind, in my heart, in my spirit, I'm crying, thinking, how am I going to do this? And the message came back, and it said, there's only one way to do it. Take that first step, and then just keep on going. Mm -hmm. Don't give up. You, I, I, I checked out one of your, your podcasts last night where you talked about not quitting. There's no quitting. Yeah. Your body takes you until it no longer takes you. Yep. And, uh, and that's my theory, too, is you, you just you, you have a goal. To achieve it, you gotta you gotta get up every morning and just take a step toward it. So that first morning, as I'm as I'm questioning what my sanity, I'm thinking, you can't get to Maine today. You can't get a hundred miles, but you could do ten miles. But you can only do that if you take that first step. And then as I took that first step, I start walking along that trail, beautiful little creek alongside me, and it's so slowly a little bit of peace comes on me. Well, of course, then the first big hill comes to you and you realize, oh my goodness, what have I done? <laughs> got this huge weight in my back and it's like, oh my goodness. Yeah. But that day was the first time I took that pack off, I got the feeling of, oh, that feels so good to get that weight off your back. But uh, I tell people, you know what? It's just like life. We allow weights to be put on us, emotional weights. The devil puts weights on us. Friends and family put weights on us. We, we, we can control what weights are allowed on us, mm. but sometimes we allow weights to be put on there that should not be there. Mm -hmm. And that's what coming to Jesus does is getting rid of those weights. That's what the cross is all about, dropping them there, you know? Come on. And yep. that's what too many people do that. They drop them there, and then they walk away, and they kind of miss their little weights, and they go back and get them again. But uh, it was the most incredible journey of my life. However, I tell people, two years ago I had, had a breakup with a lady I loved, and the journey from recovery, from grief, from that was a harder journey than any journey I've done physically. And so grieving, and I wrote a book called uh, The Miracle Journey. It's about grieving. This was going to be my very next question, Paul, is I wanted to talk about that. 
you know, before we before we move forward into um, getting in specifics about your through hike, uh, I want to I wanted to kind of go back in whatever way you're comfortable and talk about not only uh, the process of healing from losing your first wife of 30 years. I, I mean, that's that is a yeah. long time to spend in a loving relationship with another human being. But but also, obviously, I haven't heard the story. Um, that the, this most recent story, um, and yeah, Paul, he's got a new book coming out, Easter, right? Easter, the the mir- the the miracle journey. Right. It's right here on the table, um, and I, I just want to really get some perspective from you for myself. I want this for myself because one day I may have to face the same challenge that you had to face. Yeah. I may be challenged in that same way. Um, of course, I'm selfish. I hope I go first. <laughs> you know what I mean. But we never know. I mean, I just want to just want to get some perspective from you on on working through something like that, man. Yeah, it's it's brutal. It really is. And and this book called The Miracle Journey will speak to people who've gone through loss. Now, if you if you haven't gone through loss, the book probably will not mean a whole lot to you unless mm-hmm. you want to know what feels like to be in pain. Uh, when my wife passed away, thirty we were married thirty two years. Um, you lose everything. All you have, you, you've got the memories yet, but you you, you tend to. Here, here's a sad part. After my wife died, I'd come home from the restaurant, and I'd realize what all she did. Like I'd come home, the the, the dishes are done, the laundry's done, floors are clean, and she had a job too. Yeah. I now do all that. And I realized how much she had done and I kind of tended to take it for granted. Yeah. And so I tell people, especially men, don't, don't take your families and your spouses for granted. You don't know what you've got until it's gone. You really don't, but appreciate what you've got now. Um, I still remember one day and I wrote about this in the hiking book about, I was, I was at the hospital and uh, I was already leaving and I walked outside, it's raining and I just felt the Holy Spirit say, Paul, you need to go back in that room and do what you need to do. And I knew what God was telling me. I went in that room and Mary was sleeping or her eyes were closed and I tapped her and she said, Paul, what are you doing back here? And I said, you know what, Mary? I said, I came back here because I want to apologize for not being the man I should have been in our marriage. And I was a good man. I was a good husband, but I took her for granted. And I said, I'm sorry. I wasn't there. I mean, I worked in the restaurant business 78 hours a week. I missed ball games. I missed plays. I missed a lot of things because I'm working so hard. She saw everything. She was there for everything. And I just asked for forgiveness for not being the man I should have been. And she asked for forgiveness too for her failures. And that was my, really, that was my first uh, experience of true forgiveness. Uh, because in my lifetime growing up, the preacher always said, you got to forgive, you got to forgive. And I never really had anything to forgive. I yeah. just never really had much to forgive. And so, um, but the, the, the Miracle Journey and the book before that called Don't Wait Too Long, is those two books are about loss of, of, a, of a romantic relationship. Yeah. And um, I had a lady friend that it was incredible, miraculous. The way we met was, it was based on the hiking book. Uh, this gentleman had bought my hiking book and liked the hiking book, and he told his best friend about this. So I sent him a note about the hiking book and said, you got to read this book. It's an incredible book. Well, meanwhile, the guy gets sick and is in the hospital, and within two weeks, he's dead. He dies. And, but while he's in that two-week period, before he knows he's going to die, he says, when I recover, 
I'm going to write a book called Don't Wait Too Long about not waiting too long in life to mm. retire early, to do what God wants us to do. Well, he couldn't do it. So this friend of his told this lady about the book that's in this guy's library. And so she looked for it and she found it. And she started reading and it just, it just spoke to her. And uh, she got a hold of me in January of 2017. And I had just broken up with my girlfriend. And I was, I was single, I was praying for love. I was at peace. And she said, I, I need to write this book, but I need help. And I'm reading your hiking book and it's incredible. My husband loved it. And we started dialoguing and uh, we just connected. And uh, we met, and it was love. The first time we met, we, we loved each other, right? Yeah. It was just incredible. And, uh, but it was, we got together, we were supposed to write a book. Well, I, I was enamored with her. She was an incredible lady. She's beautiful. She was just everything a man could ever want. And uh, we did things together for two years. And it was a distance relationship, so I had to drive to her house. And so I'd be there for a week. But it wasn't enough for her, because after I'd leave, she'd miss me. And that's the, that's the difficulty of distance relationships is you, you can't be there all the time. But anyway, after, after the breakup, she found a man that lived nearby and went to her own church. And I was just devastated. I was just broken. And I realized the journey through grieving, a, a broken relationship like a divorce, is actually harder than a death. My wife died. Yeah. And she's in heaven. She's not coming back. The lady that I loved for two years, more than I've ever loved anybody, now gives that love to another man that's brutal mm -hmm. i mean that just tears your heart out and and the way the ending our relationship ended wasn't quite honorable and that hurt me because i trusted her completely and so i wrote this book and it by the end of don't wait too long i thought this is two years ago i thought i can forgive her even if she didn't ask for forgiveness i needed to i need it for myself yeah and i actually sent her a note and said you know what i forgive you I have not for you, but because I needed it. But in my heart, I knew that that still hadn't. It, and it was, it was, I was confused because I was raised to believe that you forgave somebody and it was over. Mm -hmm. Forgive and forget. That's not true. Uh, yeah, easier said than <laughs> done. Easier said right? than done. Yeah. And so last summer, actually, I was, last winter, I was in Venice, Florida for the winter. And my cousin and I remodeled a house, did a house flip, and we tore this house apart. And I realized my life was a lot like that house. It needed restoring. And there's things in my life that I did not like. There was things with this lady I was with. I was pretty proud that I had this beautiful lady. There are some characteristics in my life that need to go. I was like that house. Yep. It needed to be rebuilt. And so I just got on my knees and just wept. And I just prayed, God, I need healing. And the Holy Spirit said, you will be healed, but you will also feel other people's pain. And so I feel people's pain so deeply. And so the miracle journey that I wrote is about death, divorce, breakups, job loss, any kind of grieving. Mm -hmm. And as and your background is military, and I read about all these these men and women that come home and they're just, they're in grief. I don't even know if they know that's what it is, but they're grieving. They're yeah. grieving a loss of the camaraderie, of the adrenaline rush. They come home and it's not, it, not what? You're exactly right, Paul. Not what? Yeah. And you got a man, a woman has to have a purpose. You got to have a reason to get up out of bed. You got to have a reason to go through life. Truth, man. You know, and it's like, and, and I feel for these people. I, my heart aches for these people. This book, The Miracle Journey, to get from loss, and it can be any loss. It can be a pet. It can be a loss is a loss, a job loss. There's different levels. You know, you're going to grieve a loss of a spouse more than a pet probably. But mm -hmm. again, loss is loss. 
and it's grieving. You got to grieve. And people have to understand this pain, this depression you're going through is grief. And so I, when Mary died, I, I bought books by C.S. Lewis, yeah. a book, a, a grief, all kinds of grief book. I wanted to define why I felt the way I felt because it's a horrible feeling. Grief, and believe me, what you said earlier, it will happen. Yeah. All relationships end. That's it's either going to be death, divorce, breakups, they all end. Mm -hmm. And there's all kinds of bumps in the road. And, but it's, it, the, the book is for, for the person whose spouse has said, you're not good enough anymore. I'm leaving you. And that devastation that hits on you, how do you get through that? How do you get from loss to grief? How do you get from Egypt to like the children of Israel to Canaan? Mm -hmm. How do you get through that wilderness? It takes a miracle. It's the miracle journey. Come on, man. And so I, you got you got me pumped up to read this book because you know, I never even it never connected with me the relationship between this book and and people like me that have recently left that brotherhood of the SEAL teams, right? And right. yeah, that's a that's a loss, man. Absolutely. And I've never ever once connected any any uh pain that I felt or, or, or anything that I've struggled with, with, with actually grieving the loss of that part of yeah, my that, life, oh, which was a huge part of my life. It was my life. It was, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it's really cool how you connected that, yeah. um, how it can apply in different circumstances. Yeah. You got me fired up, <laughs> man. Well, you know, I, I read the newspaper on the news articles about these, these, these guys that commit suicide and uh, PTSD, and I'm, I scream, I said, you're grieving. Yeah. You, you're, somebody needs to tell you that you're grieving. You need to define what grief really is yeah. and why you're grieving. Why is it? I mean, it's, you're, you've, you've had this togetherness. You've had this project. You had this, you're working, you're doing great things. Yeah. And all of a sudden, nothing. That's grief. It's depression. Depression and grief, they're very similar. And so I, I, I was, I'm, I'm a curious person. And so I want to define what grief actually is. What is it? What is it? And so I read stories. I read a story called, I have a book and I, I've listed in here called A Grief Defined about a gentleman in a car accident lost his wife, daughter, and mom in the same accident. Mm. And so it's, and, and I quote him in there. And of course, C.S. Lewis has, has uh, good, good books on grieving too. And there's all kinds of books on, on grieving. But you need to define what that feeling is. It's a horrible feeling. It really is. It, yeah. But, and, and to get out of it, it takes a miracle. It's just, it just, when we accept Jesus, that's a miracle. And so I related to the children of Israel going through the wilderness, and I took them 40 years. Literally, it took them two years to get to Canaan, and then they did circles for 38 years, you know? And that's what you can do in healing. You can do that. You can, you can take the long route. Uh, the original route the children of Israel could have taken would have taken 11 days. Wow. Man. But they would have faced Dang. a lot of enemies, and they, they were, didn't have an army. And so God took them the other way two years and fed them in the, in the wilderness, fed them manna. But the still, they still looked back to Egypt and wished for their onions and leeks, and they looked back wishing for something that they thought was good, which wasn't. They're getting killed. And they're, it's the same way when in grieving. When I tell people, when you're grieving, your hope lies in Canaan. The land of promise. That's what God promised you. Yeah. And that's across the Jordan River. So you got to go across that river. Don't go to the river and stop. Keep going. It's the same way on, on the Appalachian Trail. It's the same way on marathons. It's the same thing. Anything. You just got to keep going. But before you can do it, you have to define what you're dealing with. Yeah. And then yeah. you also have to determine, do you want to change? Yep. 
because some people are happy, not happy, but some people just being in there lamenting all their life. And it's their, trust me. Yeah. We've seen yeah, that yeah, Paul. Right. Yeah. And so you have to want to, but there's people that don't know how they just don't know how to change this miracle journey. And don't wait too long. Both those books, there's some stories in there that don't wait too long book that, that I wrote right after the breakup. Um, I was sitting at home praying for healing and uh, I was reading about Enoch, uh, Mm-hmm. guy that walked from with god and uh and he was no more he just disappeared yep and it's like it's almost like he went on a walk with god one day and god said hey you know you're closer to my house than yours just come on home with me you know and i thought about that i thought no this guy walked with god i like to walk so i thought you know what god's and i felt god saying write that book don't wait too long and so i started going out to the trail in, in millersburg every day i'd go out there and i just cried to god god I want to hear from you. And uh, I got some amazing stories. I remember one day I was dialoguing on the trail with God. And when you're going through a pain like that, believe me, the devil is there too. He's there telling yeah. you you're worthless. I remember that one day I was walking and it was, we're not even talking about the Appalachian Trail. We're talking about everything but that. But Oh yeah, we'll, no, we'll this is the it. good <laughs> stuff, Paul. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we got all the time and we got yeah. all day, brother. Oh, yeah. uh, I was I was out there dialoguing, crying, and, and I'm thinking, saying, you know, God, it's, it's just like, I'm just, I'm, I wasn't worthy of this woman. Uh, and it's just like the devil was coming there saying, your heart is broken. And, and she didn't want you. She, you're not good enough for her. And a broken heart cannot be healed. And, and all of a sudden, I just felt the Holy Spirit say, that, you know what? Yes, it can. It can be healed. And when I heal a broken heart, it's a stained glass heart. And my love seals those pieces together. And... That heart is a beautiful heart. Those pieces are beautiful. And uh, someday somebody's going to look in your eyes and they're going to see your heart and they're going to say, I have a heart just like that. I wrote that chapter in there called The Stained Glass Heart. It's a very powerful chapter. Another morning I'm praying and I had read the story about the alabaster uh, jar that the one broke over Jesus and and, and washed his feet or and uh, poured that uh, powerful expensive ointment over jesus yeah and i was praying and that i couldn't god said get up and write that story and there's a story in there about the alabaster uh, uh jar that this lady broke and uh i had a lady from florida sent me an email and she said i just read that the night before and that next morning at church the pastor preached on that very sermon and she said i needed to hear that i've gotten thousands of emails about people who read these books and it's exactly what they need it at the time. Hiking through, I've gotten thousands of emails, uh, credible stories. The hiking through, when it came out, it came out in, in uh, hardcover first. Self-published. I sold 8,500 copies of hardcover, which is incredible. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Baker Publishing bought the rights to it. But um, a young man in, um, in New Hampshire read it. He, was, he went to Walmart, and he saw it there. He liked to hike. He was a Catholic man. He had left his faith, left his wife, but he liked to hike. And so he bought the book, brought it home. And when he realized it was spiritual, he said, I was going to take it back. And he said, I thought, well, I got it anyway. And uh, so he read it and he got a hold of me. He said, your book brought me back to faith. And in the meanwhile, I've, I've got 15 men and I have started a men's ministry. And I, I do Bible studies with them. Would you come out to, and, and do a, a program with them? And I said, sure, well, went out and stayed at his house. And he told me the story about how he bought the book and he was going to take it back. 
and now his receipt is now his he uses that for his bookmark and uh told me about, and so i met with, with with his group did a program at his at the uh school and his church and um a couple of years later, I went back up and did another program for him. Anyway, this man now has a hundred, one hundred people, doctors, lawyers. They go to Honduras and they build hospitals for leper oh, colonies. The power of words. Yeah. The power yep. of words. And uh, so it's incredible. It's the, and it's that story multiplied uh, over and over and over. People have gone. One guy said I was at a, at a hospital gift shop and I was looking at these books and the shelf collapsed and all the books fell on the floor. And he said he picked them up put them all back in the shelf, turned around, walked away, and one book fell off hiking through. And he said, well, he must meant to buy that. So he bought it, took it out, and he, well, outside the hospital, there was a young man sitting there, and the guy saw that he was in distress, and he, and he started talking to the young man, and the young man said, I, I'm, I'm, I've lost everything. He said, I'm planning to kill myself. And the, and the guy said, before you do that, read this. Gave it to him. Now, I don't know the end of that story, That's the, but it's just that over and over and over. When God said, I will be with you on that trail, God was with me on that Praise trail. Praise God. I had some incredible yeah. encounters on that trail. And I want to talk about that real quick, Paul. One one thing particular is uh, I, I heard you say uh, on, a, on a previous interview that you had done, you came to the realization at one point on the trail that you were a son. And you... you were you, you 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 were in you could inherit all that Jesus had created and owned. Yeah. Tell us how. Tell us about that story, brother. I was walking. I was I was hiking. I was in Tennessee at the point. I think I had just come through over. I had just come through uh, the Smokies, and uh, I love wildflowers. And I'm walking, going past these beautiful hardwood trees and wildflowers, and I'm just dialoguing with God. And I'm saying, oh, these flowers are gorgeous. They're beautiful. And I said, just thank you for them. And I just felt my spirit, God say, or the Holy Spirit say, they're yours. I created them for you. You are my son. Mm-hmm. And everything is, is yours. And it was just, I, for the first time in my life, I mean, I'm sure I realized, but it never really sank in that I, you, everybody, we are sons and daughters of almighty God, created in his image. And I realized as I read the Bible, then I mean, I was as I wrote those last two books. I, I just I've got my cell phone. It's got dozens of scripture verses on there. And I remember one day reading the verse about how we are heirs, but then not only are we heirs, we're joint heirs with Jesus. It literally says that. Yep. Now, what does that mean? God gave Jesus everything. Everything. And we're joint heirs with God, with Jesus, and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are absolutely. So when I leave here, I'm going to be taking some of my stuff along with me. <laughs> your yeah. stuff. No, it's but seriously, it's it's incredible. It's just, we, it's hard to grasp that. And then what's almost as hard to grasp is that as Christians, we have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit within us. And too many people don't realize the power. Power might be the wrong word, but but what we have inside us. And as I grow in Jesus, I realize this intimate relationship I have with the Holy Spirit. And and I, and as you grow into that there are things that are revealed to me and it's just it's an, an amazing thing to know I've, I've been reading in genesis lately and just last week i was reading about how when god created the heavens and the earth he spoke it in existence but when it came time to create man he literally physically created man out mm-hmm. of the dirt and then he breathed life into mm-hmm. him and that was the difference between creating trees and animals and then man he breathed life into him 
And I often think about uh, how in life, can we breathe life to other people mm. that are dead? I, I love the mm -hmm. story I'm doing. Actually, I'm actually preaching in a church in a couple of weeks, and I'm going to talk about uh, the, the dry bones where God took uh, Ezekiel out in the wilderness and showed him all these Valley bones, the dry, uh, bones. dry yeah, bones. And, they say, and the question was, can these bones live? Yep. Well, no, of course they can't. That's not what he, that's not what he said, but yeah. it's like, and and they spoke to the bones and they came together, all the right bones, right place. They stood up, but there's still no life there. And yep. then it was speak breath to him, breath to him. And so I, I, I liken that to the, all these people in life that we meet, they're dead. They're hurting. They're dead. Can we speak life? Can we breathe life to them? Boy, that's we, a whole new perspective right there, brother. Yeah. That's a whole new perspective. It's called being Jesus to them. When I hiked yeah. across Spain, I did hike across Spain on the Camino de Santiago. It's called the French Camino. You start in France and you go over the Pyrenees Mountains and go all the way through Spain. And uh, at the end of, of the hike, I met a Catholic priest doing a, he was doing a mass. And, we're, and I'm talking to the guy. And, and I told him about how all these experiences I was having out there, the people I'm meeting. And he said, as we walk this trail, we are Jesus to the people we meet. And I realized, that's, 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 as Christians, that's what we are. We're Jesus to the people we meet. <laughs> I love that, Paul. Come on, man. Uh, this is just such a mindset shift that I, I think is a, is is powerful in a lot of ways. Um, you know, one thing that I loved about that story, Paul, you tell of when you had that realization that that this these wildflowers, this this beauty that you see out in nature, that is yours. It was created for you uh, by God, by your Father, He created that for you to enjoy, for you to care for, for you to utilize. This is such a mindset shift, and I feel like if more people that enjoyed being out in the wilderness, if more people would shift their mindset, whether you're a hunter, a fisherman, a backpacker, who, whatever you are, if you're out in the wilderness, if you would realize this is your land, <laughs> this is this belongs to you, right? Um. And I think we would care for our environment much better. Yeah. You know, this is something that we teach heavily in our course that we run, uh, the basic course. We take small groups out into the wilderness for a few days. They come from all over the country, people that have never been in the woods before. And this is one of the main veins of our course is the leave no trace principles right. and and all, all that goes into preserving what is ours and and I try to make the students realize that this is this and that's a total mindset mindset shift from thinking this is a foreign environment that doesn't belong to me and I don't belong in it to yeah. saying this is my land let's care for it let's let's do what we can to preserve it I just think that is such a powerful lesson for people to get through their head yeah it would be and wouldn't it be amazing to have politicians that would actually be able to say something like that you yeah know, it would be a whole new way of looking at climate change and which in a lot of cases is there's some truth to it and there isn't but if you approach it from that point of view this is god's creation we're creating god's image he gave us this it's ownership mm -hmm. i take care of my house i take care of my car yep well why not take care of your land why not take mm -hmm. care of, of that's it brother. so you know and if you if you look at it from that perspective you want to you want to keep things clean you want the rivers clean you want you want it clean you really do but when you come at it from a perspective of too many politicians, it's like, I don't want to hear it from you. 
That's right. That's right, brother. No, you're exactly right. And I just, that's a powerful story, a powerful mindset shift. I hope you guys that are listening, I hope you understand what we're talking about here, how you look at it through a different lens when you recognize that this was created for you. Um, I want to hear about real quick too, Paul, but before we move on into some of your other missions, there's got to be a point on a, on a mission as long as the AT. First of all, how long did it take you? I did it in four and a half months. Four and a half months. Which is about a month and a half quicker than most people Pretty do. Pretty quick, right. yeah. So, But there's, I, I can only imagine, like, like a 100-mile race, for instance, when I go run a 100-miler. I never ran a 100-miler where I did not reach a point where I said, I don't want to run anymore. Right. I don't even like running anymore. <laughs> You know what I mean? But but you, then you got to shift back to the mindset you were talking about earlier, Paul, is, hey, for this thing, for, for it to end, I have to keep taking one step at a time, even though I don't feel like it. If I want this to, if I want to complete this mission, I've got to keep going or else it's never going to end or, or I quit. And then you have to live with that for the rest of your life. Right. You know what I mean? Did you hit a point out on the trail where you were just... Uh, you know, you, whatever you 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 were done hiking, you know. Yeah, I'm asked that a lot. I always tell people, they say, "Did you ever want to quit?" And I said, "Yeah, every night, <laughs> every <laughs> night." I, I, I first night, first night in the woods. Oh my goodness, I did ten miles, and uh, I, I I started out camped at a place called Horse Gap. Rained, rained all night. Got the next day, put my tent on, rain, and I'm thinking. You quit a good job for this. <laughs> and um, first, I don't know, first week or two, it rained and snowed every day. Uh, the first stop was uh, Neil's Gap. It's where I had my first shower. And I realized I was chafed. Oh, my goodness, so painfully chafed mm. and miserable. But I kept going. May the 13th was when I had a, a point where, how bad did you want this? My daughter youngest daughter was pregnant and she's gonna she's ready to give birth and uh her and her mother were so close they they, they he, she was in school they talked every night but uh, so when mary died she thought i could do that well i couldn't um but she needed me at home i didn't go home i had shin splints i was in pain i was limping and i i'd go through the woods and i'd scream because of the pain yeah but I knew if I went home, I would not come back. And I, for the first time in my life, and probably the last time in my life, I put my needs, desires ahead of my family, and I didn't go home. That's the one thing in the book that I get a lot of comments about, especially ladies. How could you not go home? Mm -hmm. I didn't go home because I knew I was out there on a mission. I knew I was out there because God wanted me out there. And I knew completing that journey was vital. Yep. I knew I was going to write a book. and The book had changed so much from just an adventure to healing. And so I knew I needed to go on. And so I went on. And that was the, the, the kind of the deciding factor there. If I, if I can keep going, having a, my daughter at home that needs me, having shin splints that are so painful, uh, I'll, I'll, I'm going to make it. Of course, a bit later, I was in, uh, I had just come through Virginia into Maryland, and I got caught in a storm where a tornado came through. I was literally hanging onto a tree Thinking, literally think I was going to die. And I, had, I was at peace. Was, to me, it was like, okay, I'll get to see my wife. I'll get to see Jesus. And if I don't, and then, but it passed through. And there is just, if you're 
out in nature for six months, five months, you're going to get these storms. You really are. Yeah. But there is, it is, you will, it takes some time. I, I lost 20, I lost 30 pounds the first 20 days. And so I lost yeah. a lot of weight, but <clears throat> you'll get in shape, but then it's mental. You know, it's that wall. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And the question is, how badly do you want this? How bad? It, and in my case it was, well, I quit my job. I left my family to do it. It's pretty important. Yeah. And so get up, face whatever's ahead of you. And I always tell people that they ask me what, what they should worry about. And I said, just don't worry about it. Cause it, it, what, the things that are going to happen, you cannot even prepare for. You just can't, you couldn't imagine what's going to happen. I couldn't even imagine I was going to be in a tornado. I couldn't imagine it's going to have shin splints. And, and, but then the sun comes out and then somebody gets you trail magic. Trail mm -hmm. magic is when somebody puts food out there, water, uh, and I, I come out to a road crossing. There's guys there with grills cooking hot dogs. And it's like, wow, they care for you. And then you keep going. And uh, the joy of the journey is in the day-to-day -day people you meet, being out there dialoguing with God in nature. Uh, that's the joy of the journey. The destination is just that. It's an ending which I don't like endings. Oh my goodness. I still remember every day I get up and think, Oh my goodness, Katahdin, I got to get there. I want to finish this thing. Well, the, well, eight, August the 13th of, of 2008, I got there. I saw that sign up there in the distance yeah. and I was some, some buddies that I'd met were already up there. And as I get closer to that sign, there's a bunch of day hikers up there on the sign. And my buddies said, this guy coming up here, hiked from Georgia to get here over 2000 miles. Would you give him the sign to himself? <laughs> they stepped back and they applauded me as I came to that sign. As I came close to that sign, I just got down on my knees and I just wept because I realized there's an ending. Mm. That sign says the end. It, it wasn't yeah. what I thought it was going to be exhilaration. I did it. No, it was the end because it's just like a, a serviceman coming back from the military that's a brutal ending. You know, it's now, it's what comes next. I just got on my knees and wept when I realized that that journey had just come through. The men I had met, the few ladies I'd met, the kindness of strangers I'd experienced was the journey. Yeah. And I had found healing. And that says the end. I knew I had to go up there. I touched that sign and I said, now what, God? Now what? Now what? It's over. Now what? And that's when I came home and realized you got to write. You got to write the story about healing. And I did. And uh, came out in hardcover. And uh, I, had some, I had a blog going, so uh, I had some, had some followers. So I sold 8,500 copies. But it was, it was hardcover. And uh, I knew there was a story there that needed to be told. And so sometimes ignorance is bliss. So I took, I, I went to New York to Jacob Javits Center. They had a big com book conference there. And uh, I was self-published. And my self-publishing company had one copy there on the wall. I'd walk around this big convention center. I'd talk to all the big players, Thomas Nelson, Moody. Um, told them about my, my book that I had written. Not interested. We don't buy books that are already published. Yeah. We don't like hardcover. We don't like, we don't know nothing about you. You, you have an agent? No, I don't have an agent. Finally, I got to Baker Publishing in, in Michigan. They're one of the biggest uh, Christian publishing companies. And again, same story. Um, don't know you. Uh, 
what I had done is I had literally gone over to my book company, took the book off the wall, didn't even say anything to anybody, just took it. And I gave it to the guy and he said the same thing. I don't really like your cover, although I think the cover was great. Um, don't know you. Uh, we don't typically buy books that are already published. And uh, I just kept talking to him about the hike I did, about losing my wife, about finding uh, recovery from grief. And I could see it in his eyes when he got it. He said, give me the book. I'll take it along home. We'll look at it. So I gave him the book. And uh, this was in 2009. And uh, I didn't hear from him. Didn't hear back or nothing. And so when I was, hi when I was hiking up through uh, New England States, I was hiking with a Catholic priest on a sabbatical. His na trail name was Padre. My trail name was Apostle. So I'm, my name is Paul. That's Apostle Paul. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But literally, I took the name Apostle because the meaning of that is one sent forth with a message. And I believe my message was going to be to men. And so, and 500 miles up the trail was Damascus, Virginia. So yep. I was heading to Damascus. Yep. And so, but this, I, was, I was hiking with Padre, the priest. And it's kind of interesting. You know, the, the, the Catholic priest, the Padre and Apostle. We, we became pretty famous on the trail. The Catholic <laughs> priest and the Mennonite man. But anyway, he's a great guy. And uh, I'm, I'm, we took a day off in, in Dalton, Massachusetts. And um, I'm walking through town with Padre. And we're just bantering back and forth. And uh, I, I told him, I said, you know, Padre, I said, this hike is such a healing journey for me. And uh, I said, as I walked through Dalton, it was the 4th of July uh, holiday. Dalton is where the Crane Paper Company is, who makes all the paper money in your wallets, is, is made, the, the process is there. And so all these families were off. as a holiday, and they're in their front porches, and they're laughing. And I said, Padre, I said, just look around you. Look at these people in their porches. I said, kind of reminds me of what heaven might be like, of all these people just having fun, laughing, even together. And then it was sort of on a whim, said, when I'm done with this hike, I'm going to ride my bicycle across America. I like to ride bicycle, or at least I used to. And so um, when I came home, and I, what I told him was, I said, Padre, if I do this bike ride, I'm going to stop and talk to people. Just, if I see them on the front porches, I'm just going to stop and talk to them, get their stories. Well, I came home, I wrote the book, came out hardcover, and in 2010, I decided to do this bike ride. And so I, I started, I did some research and saw that if you go from the east, the west coast to the east coast, about 3,000 miles. And uh, I thought, well, that sounds pretty easy because I've hiked almost that far. <laughs> so I did some research and I found out if I go to the northwest corner of Washington State, the geographical corner of the continental America, the opposite corner is Key West, Florida. And that was my bike ride. So I made it 5,000 miles diagonally. So I'm doing this ride, and I, I wrote a book there, Biking Across America, about that journey of going across America, and just stories, incredible story. Oh, my goodness. There's a story in there about Bobby White, who's a, a, a veteran. And if you remind me a little bit later, I'll tell you that story. But as I'm going through, uh, I'm in Sykeston, Missouri, on my bicycle. I'm heading to Paducah, Kentucky the next day. And um, that night in my motel room, I get a phone call from Baker Publishing. And they said, uh, we read your hiking book and we want to buy it from you. And I was kind of naive about the process. And I said, well, can it wait? I'm on a bike ride. <laughs> and they said, no, it cannot wait. It said, we've got you slotted in with some of the books for uh, this time frame." And in the conversation, they found out I was pedaling to Paducah, Kentucky the next day. Mm -hmm. And the guy said, the lady that's going to edit your book lives in Paducah, Kentucky. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. And so I called her up, and her and her husband pedaled out from Patuka, Kentucky, 20 miles, and met me in a cornfield, a little country road. And that's when I followed him into Paducah, met at a restaurant that night, and sold him the rights to hiking through. 
Wow. That's amazing. A bike right across. But I tell people, it doesn't matter if you're on a mountaintop on the trail or if you're in a cornfield lot in, in Kentucky or Missouri, wherever. God's there too. Yeah, yeah. If he's got his hand on it, his yeah, will's gonna right. be done, right? Yeah. Well, and, and hey, Paul, you know what you've been telling me? You know what you've been teaching me for about the last twenty or thirty minutes? You've been teaching me that winners don't leave other options on the table. That's one thing I keep hearing. Is you know, you talked about that spot in the trail where you know there was every there was every reason for you to leave and and go home and 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 not continue mission, right? But you you took all other options off the table, and that's what got you from start to finish. Yeah. And you knew that you had a purpose, and you knew what that purpose was. Um, and it's just a powerful lesson. Let's take a little break, and then we're going to dig into this mission across America on the bike. I got to ask you about Israel, the hike through Israel. I got to. I, I, that's a place I would love to go. Um, I, and I'm just thinking as as we're in this conversation. Don't wait too long. I keep thinking that. Yeah, I keep thinking yeah. don't wait too yeah. long. So. Well, we'll talk about Israel later, but I'll tell you this, Butch. When you've been there, in my case, I, I went from Nazareth to the Sea of Galilee. It's called the Jesus Trail. Yeah. It's through Cana. Where they, and it's just, you're there and you're just, wow. Jesus has walked where I'm walking. Yeah. Now you come back and now you start reading the Bible from a totally different perspective. Perspective, yeah. Because what people sometimes fail to realize is, Jesus was a man, a human. Yeah. He said, we, my, my upbringing was that he was this, this God. He was, he obviously was, he was God, Jesus. But he was also a man tempted in all ways like I was, but he just didn't fail. And I, I failed plenty. I could write a book on failure. But uh, so when you come back, and the, the biggest thing for me was to realize that, that Jesus was a man. He walked yeah. like I walked. He had feelings. He had the temptation that he resisted. There's temptations that I haven't resisted, but he did. And that's why he was a sacrifice. That's mm -hmm. why he was that perfect sacrifice. Mm -hmm. But it, if you go to Israel, it'll change your Bible reading. It'll change your perspective of, mm -hmm. of, of who Jesus was and is. So, yeah. yeah, and he's not he's not just a character in a book either. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's take a little break, guys. What's up, guys? This episode is brought to you by Salty Bridges. I hope you've heard me talking about Salty Bridges. It's the number one anti-chafing cream on the market, period. I use it for all of my ultra marathons. Any race, any run that I'm doing over 50 miles, I put a thin layer of salty britches on my feet, pull my sock up over the top, and I'm good to go. One application of salty britches has kept me comfortable, blister-free, chafe-free for over 100 miles of continuous running and the Georgia heat. One application, yeah. And I apply this stuff to any hot spot on my body that would normally chafe or blister or whatever it may be. It's a game changer. I got enough. I got my feel of chafing and SEAL training. Yeah, it sucks. I don't enjoy it, which is why I'm so passionate about Salty Britches. Also, this stuff is made in America. The owner of Salty Britches, Amy, is an amazing human being that really has poured her heart and soul into making the best product that can possibly be made, and she has achieved that. Look, buy some Salty Britches, throw some in your running box, throw some in your everyday carry bag, throw some in your backpack, and when you need it, you're going to be really glad you have it. Order yours at GetSaltyBritches.com. Use pro code 3OF7. 
the number three, lowercase, OF, the number seven, for 20% off your purchase from Salty Britches. Follow them on Instagram at Get Salty Britches. Hey, we love you, Salty Britches. Thanks for being there when we need you. Thanks for sponsoring this episode of the 3 of 7 podcast. All right, gents, we're back. Um, all right, Blake's got his mic adjusted. Good to go. <laughs> All right, we we got we got some missions here, Paul. That uh, moving forward, I, I mean, it would take a literally. You were talking about starting your own podcast sometime soon, just as a kind of a complimentary content to uh, to the stories in the books and the other lessons that you've learned in life. It would take a literally a series of podcasts mm-hmm. to cover what you have accomplished in. I mean, a relatively short period of time. I mean, it started with the AT when you were 58 years old. And here we've got, you've biked across America from Key West to Washington State. Yeah, the other direction. Unbelievable. Okay. Uh, I told you, downhill all the way. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You've paddled the Mississippi River. For 12, 12 days of absolute misery. Misery. All right. I got to hear about that, man. Because look, th- th- and, and this is, for me, again, this is the great thing about being pod- a podcast host is I can ask questions um, selfishly. I have actually uh, considered doing a long paddle either on the, not, not the Mississippi, but maybe on the Altima Hall uh, down in South Georgia, or even we've got the Ustanala or the Coosa River that runs through Rome here. Something like that. Were you in a canoe or a kayak? A kayak. A kayak? Okay. I had a kayak. It was a, but when I bought the kayak, I was pretty naive and uh, I had done the bike ride and I was looking for an adventure. And so I thought, well, I'll do the, no, actually it was, I was on the bike ride. I was coming across uh, Cairo, Illinois, across the Mississippi river. And I looked down in the river. I saw these barges coming down. I thought, hmm, I could kayak that thing. It'd be a good adventure. And so I did some research, bought this kayak, but I, I bought it for a guy in Chicago, strapped it to the van, brought it home. It's an 18 footer, uh, fiberglass, but it was a sea kayak. I would, I didn't know the difference. And, uh, so when I do a project, I like to do it from start to finish. And so the uh, Mississippi river starts in Lake Itasca, Minnesota. Uh, that's where it starts. And, um, the river there is about as wide as this table in front of me uh, <laughs> no and, kidding, and man. about six inches deep. And so I put my kayak in there and I sat in the kayak and ground out. And so I had to drag it. I literally had to drag it until I found open water. And the first hundred and some miles is swamps. Mm. Most people that do the river don't do the swamps of Lake Itasca. Yeah. But to me, it's, that's where it starts and it ends a hundred miles south of New Orleans. And so I was going to do the whole 2,600 miles. Well, obviously my mom wasn't very happy about this trip. Um, and I, I'm not a good swimmer. And I'd never, I mean, I'd, I'd kayaked a little bit in the mangroves in Florida. But I took the kayak out for about a half an hour on a river at home. And I thought, oh, I'll, I'll learn on the way. And so I learned to hike. It's just, I just learned. <laughs> that's my, that's <laughs> so my style, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just do it. And if, if, if you fail, you know, if, it, if it's impossible, then you got to come home. But yeah, that first day, I, I there was a little uh, camping, a little, a little shelter about 15 miles. And I was going down through the river, fighting through the weeds. 
And I thought, man, I got to be getting close to this. Looked at my map, like five miles is all I'd go on. And I realized I'm in for some, some <laughs> pretty bad stuff. <laughs> the next day, I literally got stuck in the weeds. I was stuck in the swamp in the weeds. I had to take my oar and whack out the, the weeds. And it was low water. And uh, I got under a bridge somewhere where it had a, a, a marking there. It showed the different levels of water. And it was down below where it's able to passable. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It was horrible. I had beaver dams, log jams. I came over. Uh, I got pretty good at, instead of portaging, I, I, I would see a beaver dam. And I just paddle like crazy, and I just slide right up over that beaver dam. <laughs> <laughs> but I had they used to do some logging there, so it was like there's a log dam that I had to come up to and and carry it over. It was just miserable. And the one, uh, I think it was about the third day, I was coming over. I thought it was a beaver dam, but it's too big to get over. So I went up, pulled my kayak up, and that's the picture right there. Well, it wasn't the beaver dam. It was a huge log that had gone down, and it had caught all kinds of sticks and twigs. And so I pulled it up over there, and then I pulled it down the other side, and I, I got in the kayak, but I, I forgot that on the back I had a keel. So when that keel hit the log, it just flipped me. Mm. And so I'm, I'm upside down in the river. My phone's in the water. My camera's in the water. Uh, I had a little seat cushion that was floating down the river, and by this time, that seat cushion's probably in New Orleans because I never saw it again. <laughs> My phone died because it's wet. My camera wouldn't work anymore. And I'm out in this swamp, and nobody knows where I'm at. So I couldn't call out for a few days. But um, fortunately, I knew enough about hiking that I had deep. I had literally had the, uh, in 2008, the, the dehydrated meals I had taken along were from Mountain House, and they were good till 2013. Yeah. And so in 2013, I was doing this kayak trip. So I used those. So I realized, you know, you got dehydrated food here throw the phone in your food bag in the so i did i opened two bags of dehydrated put the phone in there and it sucked out enough moisture that i could that i could call home and tell them you know what i'm okay uh, sort of i'm just not having any fun <laughs> but I'm, I'm alive <laughs> and i fought my way through that swamp for days and there's places where this muck was just breaking apart you couldn't even know where you're going and uh, i was getting to a lake uh lake with call it lake winnie uh it was 14 uh, no, it's 20 some miles across. And uh, it said, my guidebook said, don't cross this, you know, if, if it's windy. <laughs> actually, you shouldn't cross it at all. <laughs> but, but I was, uh, actually, there was like a, a day before that, I was coming across a lake called Cass Lake. And the reason I was crossing this lake is, is in the middle of this lake is an, is an island. And on this island is a lake happens twice it's two places in the world where that happens you're on a lake there's an island and on the island is a lake and i thought well, i gotta see this so i thought i'm gonna cross this lake it's three mile crossing and then on the island then it's a four mile crossing to the side i started across it and all of a sudden the wind picked up and i was i'm in five foot waves on my kayak and it's i thought it's gonna die just getting soaked it's horrible yeah. and i i had a fortunate cover over the over the kayak waves washed to the top I'm, I had literally had blisters in my hands from, from paddling and every so often a bigger wave would come and I'd go right into it. And, but I'd, I see the island to my left, but I'm like a mile offshore and I got to get there. But if I go diagonal, the wave's going to hit me sideways. And, um, I paddle like crazy and finally come to the point where I've got to turn into that island. And I, I just hit the paddles, my, my paddle. And so this big wave coming and I thought, I'm done. I'm dead. This wave comes, picks up my kayak and just rides it right down through there. 
And uh, I, I hit the shore and I literally fell down on the ground and kissed the sand that I was alive. I was so exhausted and so glad I was still alive. I never walked up to see that lake. <laughs> oh, man. The next morning, I had four miles across again. Did you set up camp there on the island? I set that up night? camp on okay. the island. Yeah, I set up camp there, camped there that night. And the next morning, I had four miles again to get across now. And it started out pretty nice, but then as it got out in the middle of the water, it got a bit bigger. Now the waves are coming behind me. So I had to look back and make sure I was lined up right. About a mile off the coast, the next shoreline, there's a boat that came, fishing boat came out. And I yelled at him and said, keep an eye on me because I'm not sure that I know what I'm doing. <laughs> so, they, so I made that. And um, then I got to this big lake. I, I was in, I was literally rice fields out there, literally thousands of, acres of rice fields out in this river. And I got lost in the river. I couldn't find my way out of the rice fields. And over to the right, I see a little opening in, in the, in like the bulrushes type things. And I just felt God saying, go through there. And so I did. And off in the distance, I saw some buildings. And so I followed them and I wanted to go out. This is Lake Winnie, which is 26 miles across. And I knew I wasn't going to go across it. And so I thought, well, I'll go, I'll skirt the right-hand side and find a place to camp. But the wind was blowing there that, that direction. It blew me to the left and it blew me right up on the shore of where there's a bunch of campers. And so I set up tent there. It turns out there were a bunch of Mennonite people camping there. Come on. Man. <laughs> yeah. And the guy, the guy comes up and says, and I told him my name. He said, do you have a cousin? So, and so, yeah, he said, I, I knew they used to work with the guy. And so that day something happened that I never, ever thought would happen. The, the, the guy said, how you get across this lake? I said, well, I'm going to probably skirt around it. He said, do you want me to come with my truck tomorrow and take you around this lake? And I said, yes. And I thought, you're never going to finish it if you do that. I thought, well, I'll come back and finish it. So a couple of days later, I finally got out of the swamp and there's, it was, just, it was just the most horrible 10 days in the swamp ever. But I finally got out of the swamp and uh, had a nice river crossing. I was ready. The next day, I was going to go through my first lock. I had 27 locks to go through. And uh, I'm in a little town called Cohasset, Minnesota. I'm, I'm actually on the river heading to Cohasset. And my phone rang, which is unusual because it didn't work most of the time. And here it was my brother-in-law. Uh, my cousins every year take a bus trip across America on, they just go different places. And, and sometimes they go along. It's a lot of fun. They laugh, they sing and joke. And, but, and then I was invited. They're going, they're going to Yellowstone. They're going to Canada. I said, no, I'm going to go on a, a kayak trip to New Orleans and I can't go with you. And so, um, the phone rings and here's my brother-in-law and they're on their way back on the bus trip and they're at Lake Atasca. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. The bus with 20 some cousins Three, two or three of my sisters, brother-in-laws are on that bus. I got so homesick. Mm -hmm. I said, ask that bus driver where he's going to be coming through. And um, the bus driver actually called me. And he said, well, where are you at? And I said, I'm in Cohasset, Minnesota. He said, my bus is coming through there in about an hour. So I was literally at the place where that bus was coming through. So I pulled my kayak out of, out of the river. I had a little dolly that I dragged it into town. Some guy stopped and picked up and said, what are you doing? I said, I, I just got washed out of the river. I said, there's a bus coming to pick me up. I don't know what to do with my kayak because it's not going to fit in the bus. He said, well, we work for the county. There's a township building there. Store it in there. Just store it in there and then arrange for somebody to pick it up. And the meanwhile, back home, I had read a book about a guy who had done the Mississippi River in a kayak. And uh, this guy in the, at, the, at the, the garage there said, there's a guy in town here that wrote a book about the river. And I said, is his name so-and-so? And it was, same guy. I said, you got to be kidding me. So this guy literally called me 
and and told me, you know, he was this guy who wrote the book. He said, I got a buddy in the next town who has a kayak shop. Let me call him. He might want to buy that kayak from you. And because uh, I was trying to arrange to get transportation home. And the guy ca- calls me up. I told him what I had. And I said, uh, I said I'll sell it to you. I saw, I, and this is a $3,000 kayak. Yeah. I said, I'll sell it to you. If, I'll sell the oars. I'll say that. I even sell you my marine radio. I'll sell you my machete. I used that machete to chop my way through brush and trees to get through the river. Sold him the whole thing for 2000 bucks. And uh, when, he, when he found out what kind it was, he said, my goodness. He said, I've been waiting years for one of this to wash up. He said, <laughs> that kayak was the wrong kayak to get you through that swamp. But it saved your life on that lake because no you had kidding, a, you had man. a lake you had a lake kayak yeah so yeah so when I bought it I didn't even know what I was buying but God did save my life so wow anyway so I, the bus arrived and uh, I jumped on the bus and and I I didn't do the whole river but I, I got enough that I could write a book about it about how God does work even even when your uh, goal isn't achieved that's right so, that's but right. what happened was. When my family was that close, I realized there's one thing more important than finishing the hike. It's my family. Mm. And so I jumped on the bus. I called my mom. My mom was relieved that I, that I bailed on it. So, well, uh, Go ahead, Blake. I, you know, I'm looking at the comparison between it and hiking through. You know, in hiking through, you chose to push through when you knew your family needed you. But, but I think, you know, the mission there, you had some things you needed to kind of work through in your own. You were focusing on yourself, not selfishly, but so that you could show up for your family in a greater way later in life, whereas this may have just been more of like a mission. Is that right? Well, actually, you, you hit it on the head, head there because it was the hiking through was a, was a ministry. And when I did the, the kayak trip, and people have told me this, they said, that was just an adventure. It was not a calling. It was not a mission. It was just it yeah. was just mm-hmm. a, an adventure. I was looking for an adventure to write another book. Yep. And so, um, and and it wasn't it wasn't like I was feeling God calling me out there like the trail. I knew God was calling me out there. Yeah. On the bike ride across America, I met some incredible people. Uh, like I was told you earlier, I was hike I was biking down through uh, California, and um, I had my in my I was in my motel room. I lit, I had my I had my panniers. I had my tent. Everything along. But I realized the first day in, in, in Washington State that I didn't want to sleep on the ground. I wanted a motel room because I was so tired from pedaling. And um, I tell people that a bicycle seat is a torture rack. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it just is. And when you're doing, it's one thing to do 20 miles, but it's another thing to do 80 miles day after day after day. I don't yeah. care. I was wearing two biker shorts and plus long uh, uh, pants, and it still hurt. And uh, I, had a, I had a flat tire in my room. And so I, it was my back tire. I hate changing that back tire. So I just pushed across the road to a gas station, pumped it up, brought it back to my motel room, took some soap and water and found out where the leak was. And I realized it's a pretty small leak and uh, did some research 20 miles to the next town. It was a bike shop. And I, I saw one time they were opened up. I thought, okay, I, I'll get there. I'll let them fix that leak and I'll be good to go. And so I, I packed up and I went down the road. And because I had a flat tire, that slowed me down enough to meet this incredible man. Uh, I'm pedaling down the road, and up ahead of me, I see this this guy with long hair, kind of bow-legged, had a smaller bicycle, like a 26-inch bike, had a huge backpack on, but he pulled off the road and went to like an, in a little rest area, so I didn't, and to me, it was like, he looked kind of dirty anyway, I don't know that I wanted to meet the guy, so he's off to the side, I'm going down the other side, down the hill, 
and I see two quarters laying on the highway. Now, I decided the first day on my bike ride, I found a nickel up in one of the Washington state towns. And I thought, just out of curiosity, anytime I find money, I'm going to stop and pick it up and just see how much money I find on the whole trip. And so if I find a nickel, dime, whatever, I'd stop, hit the brakes, put it in my pannier. Well, I saw two quarters. That's the mother load. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> that's the big time there. I hit the brakes, walked back up and picked up my two quarters. Meanwhile, this guy comes flying down the road and he stops and he said, do you need help? And I said, no, I'm just, I just found some money and I want to pick it up. And well, now I'm with the guy. So I got to talk to him. And so on, on the back of his t-shirt, he's got a, he's got a, a like a dove in the scripture verse. And, um, so I'm, I'm pedaling beside him. And he asked me what I'm doing. And I said, I'm right, I'm pedaling my bike across America. And uh, I was getting stories and uh, just meeting people. And he said, well, uh, oh, no, I said, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian man. And, and, he's, and he got excited. He said, so am I. He said, so am I. He said, Let's look at this on my back here. And uh, then he got the name of his story. He said, I was in Kuwait, I think it was Desert Storm. And he said, I was in a Humvee and had a hit, hit a hit a bomb, roadside bomb, and I was paralyzed. And uh, they sent me home in a wheelchair. He said, I was a bitter man. He said, I was a bitter man for, you know, being paralyzed. And he said, uh, one day a friend of his, and he was still surprised he still had a friend, but a friend took him to a Christian concert. And he said, in that concert, I found out about this Jesus guy who died for his sins. And he said, I, I, I accepted Jesus that night. And they said, that's where I got this shirt. And uh, he said this morning, or he said this morning as he was coming, uh, actually in a conversation, I was telling him about all the, the there's a bunch of needles on the highway from druggies. And he said he had been, after he got saved, he lived down on the coast and he had a neighbor. Well, first of all, <laughs> what he did is after he got saved, he told God, I want to be healed. And if you heal me, I will spend my life on my bicycle just pedaling around, telling people about how you healed me and about your love. And he said with uh, the proper therapy and some uh, uh, holistic medicines, he said, I got, I got healed. I got out of this wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And he said his friends were all using profanity and they were not Christians. So he said, I took my wheelchair Part of the story is in the book, but not all the whole story. But uh, he took he took my wheelchair. I spray painted it gold. I, I welded an arch over the top of a wheelchair, and on this arch I wrote, "God's last name is not damn." No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, "In my house, I had an doorway entranceway." He said, "I anointed my door frame," and he said, "One day, one of his friends came in." that used profanity and was just a profane man, he walked through that doorway and literally collapsed to the floor. And the man said, I don't know what happened to me. And this guy, Bobby, said, I do. You walked through my anointed door. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. The faith this man had. And he said that morning when I met him, he said, now, I'm literally, when I was, I did what God's, what I promised God. I, I was on my bicycle, going around town, uh, talking about people. But he said, one night, some druggies attacked me, robbed me, and stabbed me, tried to kill me. Somebody found me, took me to the hospital. I lost half my lung. He said, that's why when you were following me, I had to get off the road because I had to catch my breath. And uh, he said that uh, this morning or the day before, he had uh, he, he took he got a bicycle at a junkyard, 
And he said it, it, it's, it was a 26-inch, had knobby wheels on it. He said, I'm on, I'm on my way to town to testify against the people that killed me or that tried to kill me. He said one of those guys was already killed somebody and was in San Quentin and released. And he said, if I don't testify against them, they're going to do it again. Yeah. And he said, I'm not afraid of them. He said, I'm not afraid to die because I'm not afraid of them. And so he, but he said this morning, I'm coming up the highway. It's, it's just morning, getting morning. And he said, my, my front tire had a blowout. And he said, uh, it wasn't a big deal because I had, I had an extra spare with me in my backpack. So I put that spare on, but he said the, uh, tire had blown out where it would not go around the caliper. And he said, I, I, I didn't know what to do. I said, I just raised my hands to heaven and said, God, if you want me to get to this, this court to testify, you got to take over because I'm, I'm out of luck. I have yeah. I'm no, no transportation. I'm tired. And so um, he said, by that time, I, a pickup truck came out and the young boy stopped and said, you need help. And Bobby said, he said, I was kind of flippant. I said, well, you wouldn't happen to have a 26 inch knobby tire lying back there, would you? And the guy said, you know what? I don't know what's back in my truck. He said, I stop and pick up stuff on the highway. And he said, I look back there and there's laying a new 26 inch knobby tire. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> no, seriously. And he said, I told the guy, you got one laying back there. And the guy said, I don't know where it came from. I just picked it up somewhere. Huh. And Bobby said, I have no money. The guy said, you don't need it. Take it. He said, I took that and put it on. And I realized because I had a flat tire and he had a flat tire, we met. Just yeah, and sometimes in life, we think our little inconveniences—they're—they're—they're they're, they're an inconvenience. But you know what? We never know if that inconvenience would have happened. What might have happened? Yeah. we mm -hmm. just don't know, and we can't know. Well, the the interesting thing too, Paul, is is most of the inconveniences I think that that we experience in life—they're inconveniences because we're in such a hurry. Yeah, and this is what I love about your your story of biking across America is the fact that you slow down enough to engage with people. And, and this is truly you living out this principle that you taught us a little bit ago of the, the, the value is in the journey, right? It's not in, because for me, I do that a lot of times in my life. When I, when I start a mission it's all about reaching the finish line, right? And it's just driving as hard as I can possibly go until I get there, man. And I think that I've missed out on a lot because of that mindset. And this is a this is amazing that you slowed down enough to, to where you even said, if I see some if I saw a family sitting out on the porch, I'm gonna stop and engage with them. And that's it, that's that is the um that's the representation of what it actually looks like in real life to get the most out of the journey, which is where the value actually is, man. And uh, and I think you talked me out of doing a long paddle, by the way. <laughs> it didn't take much. No, it doesn't take you much. You know, that, that's been on the back yeah. burner for, you know, and I went out in a canoe the other day with, with Blake just in, a, in some little right. local lakes, and I was like, man, this is uncomfortable. Oh, this is just oh, so uncomfortable. Yeah. And, man, we were just out for an hour oh, or two, no. you know what I mean? If you do that for eight, ten hours, oh, it's just, it's miserable. Uh, it's, <laughs> I think it, you, you know. talked me out of <laughs> I always tell people, I meet people about, the, they want to do the hike. I said, well, I can talk you into it or I can talk you out of it. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it takes it takes commitment. No but doubt. there's another, on that bike ride, um, uh, story in there i was uh, that that morning that i had got the call or the evening i got the call about the baker public going to buy buy the rights i was in sykes missouri 
and I was leaving that morning and I'm heading to Paducah and uh, Route 62 is what, what I was on, but there's an interstate there too. And so the lady at the front desk said, if you take that interstate, uh, you take it over to a town called Charleston and then take this road, it'll take it to Paducah. It'd be quicker. And so I thought, well, you know, really not supposed to be on interstates, but a little bit of civil disobedience. Hey, if the guy, <laughs> if they chase me off, then it's just part of the story. So I went down the on-ramp on the interstate and there's a, a homeless guy there. And uh, it's got a backpack there and it's got a sign for New Orleans. This is back when they had that oil spill. And so he thought he could get work done there. And uh, I hit the brakes, stopped and talked to the guy a little bit. And he's kind of un- you know, disheveled. And uh, he said, why'd you stop? I said, uh, just stop to wish you a good morning. And he said, well, most people are afraid of me. And uh, I said, I'm not afraid of you. I said, uh, the worst thing that can happen is you steal my bike. I said, then you got transportation and I can go home. I said, that seems <laughs> a torture rack. And uh, he said, how's it possible that you're riding across America by yourself, but you have this look of joy in your face? I said, I didn't, I didn't even realize I had that, but he's, he, and so probably compared to his, probably did. I said, well, you know, that's because I have Jesus in my heart. And I said, I can be anywhere in America by myself and I can have joy because I have that in my heart. He said, uh, yeah, I don't have that. He said, I just got out of prison for selling drugs. And he said, I was guilty. I did it. And, and so, but see, he said, while I was in prison, my wife and daughter left, divorced me, and my son committed suicide. He said, I am a loser. Mm. And I said, you know what? I said, you've done bad things and you've had bad things happen to you, but there's hope for you. I said, you know, there is hope for you. You know, God can forgive all that. And we had a good conversation. We kept talking and he told me about sleeping under bridges. And, uh, he said, he writes poetry and, uh, he showed me some of his poetry. He wrote talented guy. Um, as I get ready to leave, I reach in my pocket and, uh, I had, when I left, I had five $20 bills in my pocket and I just had them in there. And I said, God, <clears throat> as you direct me, I'll hand these out. And I'll just tell people, uh, I've done that already when I've traveled, I've taken money and uh, I gave it to somebody and said, you know, this is from my wife. She's, she's in heaven, but growing up in marriage, we didn't have a lot of money. And so now I, I do this in her honor. I gave him his 20 and uh, the guy's crying. He said, I didn't ask you for money. I said, I know you didn't ask for it. That's why I gave it to you. It's a free gift. I said, you did nothing to earn it. And um, which is which is what salvation all is, is a free mm-hmm. gift. Yeah. Nothing to earn it. I'm driving up, pedaling away from this guy, and I feel good that I did something for somebody who couldn't repay me. But what I didn't realize is God could. The next day, I'm going through a little town called Hazel, Kentucky. And like I said, I always pick up money if I found it. And I look off to the right, and, and there laying on the side of the highway is a silver money clip. It's got some money in it. And I stopped, hit the brakes, picked it up. It looked, I thought it's got three, $3 in it. And so um, that night, I'm in a town called Paris, Tennessee. It was, I was right at the Kentucky-Tennessee border. And I was already in bed, and I had my, my pants were in the floor. And I thought, you, you found money today. You should check and see what you found. So I pulled it out of my pocket, and I pulled the money out. It had $3 in it, like I thought. Inside the three dollars was like five or six twenties. Inside the six twenties were six hundred dollar bills. Dang! <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh my goodness! I said, God, I gave a guy a twenty dollar bill who couldn't repay me, but here you repaid me like thirty, thirty five fold. Yeah. And 
since I think guy has a sense of humor, I said, I probably should have given the guy 40 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I kept that money, took it home with me. And I literally, actually that following summer or winter, I literally drove 500 miles out of the way to go to that town to see if anybody reported it missing. And I talked to the cops and they said, nobody reported missing could be drug money. And you're an honest guy, you can keep it. I kept it at my house for a couple of years and I always wanted to do something with it. It's a free gift. I want to give it away. And uh, the story of what, how I gave that away is in, in Don't Wait Too Long. It's incredible stories. We don't have time for it. That's amazing, brother. Blake, <laughs> did you have something? No. Uh -uh. All right, sweet. Um, look, Paul, I, uh, you know, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, but, you know, li leading up to our conversation here, I was going to ask you a question of, of um, how do you, you kind of – Trans, when, when you go on one of these missions, how you kind of transition out of it back into regular life, right? But here's the thing with you, man. You don't stop. This you, is you, his regular you, life. You literally <laughs> just, you're, you go, you're, you're thinking of, sometimes it sounds like your next mission while you're in the midst of the mission that you're on. Yeah. And, um, I mean, what a way to maximize life! It's just amazing. When, when did when did the idea for both, I guess, Israel and Spain? When did how did you formulate those ideas? Or, or you can start with one or the other. How did they formulate? How did they develop in your mind? And what was the purpose and calling for one or the other of those? If you do a long distance hike, whether it's the Appalachian Trail, Continental Divide. Uh, or any long distance trail, you talk about other trails in the world. And, and the community of Santiago is probably the most famous trail in Europe. Okay. It's, it's a very famous spiritual trail uh, where the Appalachian Trail, there's probably 2,000 people a year that try a through hike and probably 300 finish it. It's very difficult. Although there's, in the course of a year, there's probably a million people on the trail, day yeah. hikers, section hikers, that type of thing. But uh, there's a lot of uh, famous trails. And so you talk about the trail, and, and inevitably, the community Santiago comes up. Camino means is walking in, in Spanish. So it's walking the trail to Santiago. Okay. And so, um, and it's a trail, it's a spiritual pilgrimage in the town Santiago, there's a cathedral, and in, in this cathedral is the supposedly bones of Apostle James, Apostle G, of Jesus. And so hundreds of years ago, the people would leave their, their towns in Europe, and they'd come out to the trail, to this Camino Trail, to walk to the Santiago, because they believed if they could get there to those bones, they could get their sins forgiven. And so they faced all kinds of dangers to get there and that's part of the reason the knights templar came into being and to help them on the journey and protect them but um i had uh, i was doing a book signing in florida at sarasota and uh, a friend of mine worked with a lady that had read my book and she'd hiked the appalachian trail and she came in to get a book signed and she asked me if I ever thought about doing the community of Santiago. I said, yeah, I'd like to do it someday. What's the distance on that, Paul? It's only 600 miles. 600? Yeah. Only, only 600 <laughs> miles. Yeah. It's a shorty. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I asked her if she ever thinks about it. She said, yeah, every day. And uh, I said, well, I'm, I'd like to do it someday. 
And uh, but she had a boyfriend, and she thought she was going to get married, and she didn't know if she was going to do it or not. And so um, I remember that year it was May, and I think it was th either thirteen or fourteen. Um, I texted her and I said, "Do you ever think about doing the Camino?" And because I think I'm thinking about I might want to do it. And she said, "Yeah, she's she's actually planning to do it this fall. She's getting the leave of absence." And uh, I said, "Well, I'd, I'd I'd like to go along." And so there's a there's a hostel in Paris where a lot of people meet. And from there, we'd take the train down to southern France. And so I flew over by myself, and she flew over from Florida. And when, when we met in Paris at the hostel where all, all the other hikers met, she, she was just a mess because her boyfriend that she was engaged to had just broken up with her. And they had planned to meet there at the end of the hike and, and be married and honeymoon there. And so she was just broken, but she still wanted to do the hike. And so a bunch of us... Uh, took the train down to southern France. And from there, you go over the Pyrenees Mountains. And uh, and then the next part is the Meseta, kind of the flat level. Mm -hmm. And the last third is Galicia, more mountainous uh, area. But it's uh, we were called Peregrinos, which is pilgrims. Mm -hmm. It's pilgrims. And so at night, we'd, we'd stay at these hostels, uh, albergs they're called, probably 30 people there from all over the world. And for about 15 euros, you can stay there and you can get a meal. And uh, I call it blissful misery. <laughs> you're, you're in there. You had to wait for showers. You got people are snoring. Uh, it's one of those things where it's sort of miserable. But then after you're back home, you look back at it and say, man, that was really, that was neat. That had to be cool. Yeah. yeah. And, and was this mostly um, trail or was it a mix of trail and road? It's or? a mix of trail and road. Okay. And you, you're allowed to have bicycles on it. You're allowed to have horses on it. Okay. So it's not like the Appalachian Trail where it's strictly walkers. Uh, but then, it, and, and you'd, you'd get to like, for instance, I didn't have to carry a lot of water cause you'd get to towns every three, four kilometers. And so the water was good. The food was good. Uh, or on my Appalachian trail hike, I had 35 pounds. I was probably carrying 17 pounds on, on the Camino. Yeah. And, but at night they have, uh, pilgrim masses in these cathedrals and they're in Spanish, but it's still, there's something about coming, going into a, a, a house of God that's sacred. And to be in there, even even the, when the the homily is in Spanish, and the singing's in Spanish, it's still moving. Mm -hmm. And then they would do a uh, like a, a a pilgrim blessing, where you come forward and the priest would would bless you. And uh, there's also um, I'd always wanted to do like a like a communion in the Catholic Church, and some people frown on that, and I don't know it might offend people. Because uh, I talk about it in uh, my 13th Disciple book about how at the end of this hike across Spain, uh, I literally, once I got into Santiago, I got what's called a, my certificate of completion. It's called a compostila. You get this paper, and it's a pretty valuable item uh, in Spain. Spain had a pretty high unemployment rate, like 30%. And people that did this hike who had this compostila, it was sort of a, a, a ticket to getting a better job, too. Mm -hmm. Because it says you're you're committed. So I tell people, if a guy comes to you or a woman comes to you and applies for a job and says, I did a thru-hike in the Appalachian Trail, you just hire him. That's right. You don't need to yeah. know anything else. Agreed. Because right there, you know, this guy's got, this lady, guy's got dedication, determination, mm -hmm. yep. tenacity. They're going to finish a job, hire him. And so, uh, and that's sort of similar with that hike over there. Now, in in Europe, anybody that hikes the five, 600-mile trail, I mean, even people... There's people that would come and hike the last 100 miles, and it's incredible. These people that hiked 100 miles, they talk about this huge hike they did, and, and I'm thinking, 
that's not big. It's hundred yeah, miles. You've yeah. run, you've run hundred miles, and so, but uh, it was very moving. And that that priest I met the last, I met, a, I, I went three days beyond come, uh, the, the the actual town and went out all the way out to the coast. And uh, the end of the coast is called Finisterre. Finis is Finnish. There is Earth. They used to years ago the pilgrims used to think that was the end of the Earth, Finisterre. Mm-hmm. And so what they would do, they'd hike out there, they'd take their clothes and they'd burn them. And then they'd go out in the ocean and they'd take a shell. The, the shell is, is, a, is the emblem of the, of the Camino, is, is a shell. They take that shell and they cleanse themselves and they put new clothes on. And there literally is a concrete cross out there where people still take all their dirty clothes and burn it there. Hmm. And I remember hiking out there and seeing this cross and I'm thinking, wow, that is amazing. And I realized sometimes people glamorize the cross. The truth is at the foot of the cross is a dump. It's a trash pile and i saw that out there on the camino this concrete cross and the foot of the cross is just all kinds of burnt stuff and i'm thinking you know what that's really it's a dump it's where we go to dump our trash and then we clean up and uh then i then i hiked another 20 kilometers farther north and uh, met a catholic priest that night and he was going to go back to santiago and he's going to do an english mass and uh i thought you know what this is my this is my chance and so uh, I went to that mass, and uh, I actually celebrated the Eucharist that night with this. Uh, it's special. It's pretty special. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was very special. And I write about that in the Thirteenth Disciple uh, about how this Mennonite man celebrated the Eucharist in a Catholic mass. It was pretty special. It's incredible how, I, I, as a Mennonite man. I, I brought a, a Catholic man back to faith who now has 100 people in his ministry. Yeah. I hiked with a Catholic priest on a sabbatical. And the lady that I was in love with for two years was a Catholic woman. Mm. And I knew God was saying, Paul, you have a ministry to Catholic people. Mm. And in that regard, I failed that lady because we were together to write that book. And I was so enamored with her kindness and beauty that I failed the ministry that I had. And so I had to do it myself. Yeah. And so I've struggled for two years knowing that I failed God in that regard. But the thing about that is you can fail and God always say, you know what? I got a plan for you. And so I, 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 I tell people as a, in the Old Testament, a lot of the prophets, the things they went through, the things Moses went through before he took the 40 years in the wilderness, he was 40 years out in his own wilderness, tending sheep, getting ready for this, this project. Anybody that God has a mission for, a plan for, is going to go through a valley. Mm-hmm. They're going to go through a desert for preparation. Yep. Now, you, I've done all these things. I've written these books. And, I'm, I'm, and usually now I would have a big project out there. I'd be climbing Mount Everest. I'd be, yeah. I'd be doing something. I have nothing. And I say, God, what is next? What, what, is, what are you getting me ready for? What mm-hmm. is it? And, and I, I'm praying to find love again. I want to be in love with a, a wonderful lady. And, and last night when I met Blake here, and it's like that downtown Rome is, a, it's, it's a wonderful town. And I really, he told me there's colleges here because on my bike right across America, I came through a lot of towns that are just dead. Yeah. And to walk through a town like this that's vibrant, it's, you want to be with somebody to share these feelings with. I've done all these by myself. Yeah. I'm done being by myself. I want somebody with me to enjoy the journey. Uh, and, and that's sort of, I'm, I'm at the point now where, God, you haven't failed me yet. So <laughs> uh, 
Where are we going with this thing? You know, I felt that same thing, Paul, in my life. And, and you know, we got to deploy to a lot of places as SEALs that you just, you, you're not going to go as a civilian. And, but there's beauty there. There a lot of almost every place that I went, there was there was beauty there, and and even when I travel now and I, I do my thing now, you know, all, all over the country and the world, wherever I am, I feel that same thing, Paul, and it's 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 powerful, and and that's what I always think when I go and I see the magnificence or the beauty or or the grandness of of whatever landscape I'm in. When I'm by myself, the first thing I think is, man, I wish Brooke was here with me yeah. to sh- to be able to share this memory, right? Exactly. It's right. like, it, it, you know, and for me, when I travel, once I've been there for about a day, if I'm by myself, I'm ready to come home. Yeah. If I'm with somebody, though, that means something to me yeah. that I love— it's like, yeah, we could. Oh, the, the, then we could stay for for weeks, yeah. you know. And it, I, I felt that in my own life, and I understand that a hundred percent. And I, I, I really want men, especially men, to realize that that you know what, I, I, don't, I don't care what you do. Someday it's going to end. One of you is going to go first. Yeah. But and when that happens, don't have regrets. Don't live your life so mm. you're going to have regrets because you. It's so easy to take you for granted. This, this woman that I loved, I, I literally, after we started dating, I took a bar of soap in my bedroom dresser mirror. I wrote my bar of soap, do not take her for granted. And I, and I did. Yeah. Because it's, it's just. It's human. It's, it's, it's human just, nature. It, it really is, man. It is. And you think, you know what? I've got tomorrow. Well, the day came when I didn't have tomorrow. That's it, brother. And then it's like, just in a minute, in an instant, what I believed in. A family I loved, in one instant it had collapsed. Yep. Everything I believed in gone, and I look back now and it's like, oh my goodness, I had the world right there, and just let it go, let yep. it slip through my hand, and and I'll never let that happen again. Uh, I just never will. But it's it's easy to do, and so I and I know in relationships people struggle, men and women argue, and I tell people I wish I had somebody I could argue with. <laughs> And I have yeah, disagreements brother. with. Yeah. That's just life, you know. Uh, I go home and, I, and during the day it's not bad, but at home at night it's, it's lonely. Yeah. Because usually I've got something planned, and it's like it's right now. It's like it's just a period of kind of God. What's next? And I know He's faithful, and I know there's something there, and I know yeah. it's going to be. Uh, I just don't know what it is. And I like to, as a man, I like to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. you know, in the in the cool thing too, Paul, is that you're you're seeking that, and I think that's something that. You know, it, that's that's biblical. The Bible says, "Ask, seek, knock." If if you if you if you want something, whether it's adventure, whether it's a, a, a partner in life, whether no matter what it is, you it, it in the Bible tells us it implies that that there needs to be some action on your yeah, part. It's you says, need to seek it, man. And we can we can ask boldly. It says we can mm-hmm. seek boldly. That's and it, so, and it's it's amazing. It's 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 our father it's like it's like I, I could go to my dad and uh whatever i'd ask for him i mean i'd get it but he, he loved me so much that uh i certainly remember on the on the hike i was there's so the weather was horrible and i'm, I'm going through i'm with my my buddy a mountain sailor we're hiking over a mountain wind it's rain and blowing it's horrible and we're going to the mountaintop there's i literally saw the lightning bolts in front of me 
I was so frustrated. I literally bent over and I shook my fist at God and said, I'm so tired of this. I said, I thought you told me to come out here. It's so miserable. You're not even with me anymore. I nailed over. I said, there's my target. I said, go ahead, hit me, hit me, kill me. I'm done. I'm done. And I said, if you're not going to kill me, I want sunshine and I want it now. <laughs> 30 minutes later, the sun came out. Now that's asking boldly right there. <laughs> that's boldly. Now, I, I, I tell that story sometimes in churches or in people and they say, you dare talk to God like that? I said, you know what? When I was young, there's times I talked to my dad like that. And you know what? He never quit loving me because he's my dad. Truth, bro. And he's his son. And yep. so I, I, I'm sure that God said, <laughs> you're the idiot that's out there walking in the rain. And I didn't, you know. Yeah. But uh, it was, uh, so we can approach God boldly. And I do. Yeah. I do approach it boldly. I said, you know what, God? You've been with me all along. And I know you're going to be with me. But a little bit of clarity here. Uh, I really, I, I pray. Uh, being in love is the wonderful thing, and I'm in love with Jesus. That's wonderful, but I, but uh, having been in love twice, it's, I want it again. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's I, I want somebody to go forward with with my ministry. My ministry is to hurting people, so I need a lady that understands people that hurt, mm-hmm. and and that's a lot of people that hurt. You know, yeah. a lot of people probably about everybody. Uh, yeah, everybody. And, but there are some people that hurt so badly. They need somebody to come along and breathe life into them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and that's what I want to be. I want to be that person, and I do it through my books. Yeah, and and I realize that my books do that, and uh, it's it's uh, that's my ministry. Well, you know, and that leads me into uh, there's a there's two things that I want to talk about before we finish up. You let me know if you need a break too, Paul. I'm fine. Um, one, I want to talk about the process of writing, of being an author, how that's something that's hard for me to wrap my mind around. Uh, These books that we have out here on the table to me, that represents a great accomplishment in my mind because it's hard for me to wrap my mind around that. Now, I've I've been on lots of missions. I've done lots of cool things. I've, I've had lots of experiences, but I don't know... And I think maybe other people don't know how to sit down and get the process going of putting that into a form where it can then go forth in that book. You know what I mean? Right. That's and I know I know that there is some. I can only imagine that there is some. Uh, I don't I don't know what the word for it is. Talent that has to be involved in that. But can everybody? Can everybody? do that yes. is it and what is the process everybody, you've done it over and yeah, over again everybody can but not everybody should okay <laughs> that way. uh first of all thank you for the compliment on on the on, on this achievement i look at your life and i say my goodness wow navy seal what you've gone through the, the the heart surgery you had the dedication determination and i've done enough research i've watched enough shows to know what you achieved they'll, they'll take you almost to the edge of death the the, the achieve what you did Mm -hmm. you don't give up your body will give up before you do and so i look at your achievement i think wow you have you have you have such you have authenticity you have you but when your words mean something because what you said you're going to do you did writing is telling stories okay everybody has a story um it's pretty simple actually sit down what what people think is I don't want to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. So sit down with your story. You're, you're actually, with your podcast, you're telling your story. But 
don't worry about punctuation. Don't worry about grammar. Just get the story on paper. Just okay. get the story out in the rawest form. Then you hire an editor. I have an editor that's been with me all 13 books. And that the hiking book, when I wrote that hiking book, it was just one long stream of, of writing. And, and as I write every book, it's I'm getting much better with sentences and, and, and everything. My punctuation is much better than it was. But just write the story. Don't worry about sentence structure. You can pay people to do that. And then edit it and edit it and edit it over and over. Get it right. There's all kinds of self-publishing companies out there and, and some really good ones that'll self-publish it for you. And then with your with the what you've got here with your podcast, you're going to have an audience to sell a book. Uh, now, I'm self-published, and most self-published books don't do all that well. And as a self-publisher, you've got to be your own promoter too. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a good promoter, but one of the reasons I'm here is because I, I'm interested in how you do how you do the podcast. And you just gave me the idea because I've always thought, well, what would I talk about it on a podcast? And I realize I've got a lot to talk about. <laughs> you got a lot, brother. <laughs> you know? But see, to me, this is this is the unknown. It's like, how do I even start? What do I do? And uh, and I'm sure when you did it, you just thought, you know what? I, let's just buy the thing and let's get started mm -hmm. and let's just take the first step. And I guess for me to do the podcasting, it's the same way I did the hike. You take the first step and yep. keep going. And so, but you've really opened up my mind to the to the realization that oh my goodness, I've got I got stories. Oh yeah, that's yeah, just, that's, brother. That's our life. It's yeah. stories. And so now, as you work through as you work through this um, this process, you come so, so each one of these books that you've written represent a. Um, really a mission that you've done in the lot and the stories and the, the lessons behind the mission. I imagine, I mean, I can't wait to dig into them. Uh, how soon after the mission do you start the writing process or does it start during the mission? During the mission, really like okay. this is the hiking book at night in my, in my tent, I would have a, I had a Blackberry phone and I would pick out my, my blog. And so when I got home, I had all my blogs that were posted Plus, I had a guidebook, and I'd, I'd, I'd journal a little bit in that guidebook. Okay. So that's what, when I came home, of course, I didn't start writing for a couple months. But typically, as I'm doing the journeys anymore now with with my iPhone, I'll just speak into it. Okay. And that's very easy to do. And so, but during the journey, uh, for instance, like on in Israel and, and, the, and the, on the pilgrimage through Spain, as you're walking, you get inspired. Yeah. When I, when I sit down to write and I all of a sudden can't think anymore, I do one or two things. I either go to an art museum. If I go through an art museum, it frees my mind. I love art. I love looking at a piece of art and wondering, what's the guy trying to, the, the author, the artist, what's he trying to tell me? Mm -hmm. And it may, I may look at a piece of art and what I see and you see are two different things. Mm -hmm. And I realize how in life, I told a story in uh, Don't Wait Too Long about my dad, I'd come home from church and I'd ask dad, the preacher said this, this, and this. I don't, I don't understand. I don't agree with it. It's wrong. It's this. And dad said, yeah, but you don't see the big picture. And I never knew what he meant by the big picture. And I was on, on my, uh, when I went on the Camino, or yeah, the Camino, I flew into Paris. And so I had an extra day. So I went to the Louvre Museum. Oh my goodness. Wonderful. <laughs> I mean, just, it's incredible art there. Oh, I bet. And some huge piece of art. Now I love I love to get up close and see the details. In fact, I got so close I set up an alarm one time, and uh, I like to I like to see the little details. I like to see the details in life. You know, when I go through a town or whatever, I like to see little details. 
And so I look at the, at the, the little details and I wonder what, how this detail factors into the whole picture. Mm. And so in the Louvre, I walk back and step back and I see the big picture. And I thought, that's what dad's talking about is you can't just focus on this one little thing. You got to see the whole big picture and how it all fits in. Yeah. And so that's, that's the big picture. And that's, that's life itself right there. And as you're writing, Paul, and once you're home and you're, you know, you, you take what you have, you take the content that you have, you know, built during the mission, but then you get back home. How much time do you set schedules around how much you, you're going to, you set goals with your yeah. writing? I mean, how does that work for you, you in a real sense? First of all, when you, when you, when I come home from any of these trips, this is going to sound a little strange, but there's a grieving process that takes place because once again, yeah. I've settled into a routine. I've hiked, I hiked Spain. I mean, I hiked Israel with a buddy of mine who also hiked the trail. We've interacted, we've dialogued, we've talked about life, relationships. And now I'm back home again by myself. Yep. I'm on the, on the community Santiago. I'm with a group of people from Germany, Australia, and we're laughing. We're talking about spiritual things. We're talking about fun things. We're going across, just seeing this beautiful scenery. I come home, I'm alone in my house, and I have to grieve it. So I, I go through this grieving process. I have my notes, and then when I finally start writing, I'll set, like I get up in the morning, I'll have my coffee and my devotions, and then my writing is usually from nine to three, or I'll set a goal of 500 words. It's not that many words, mm -hmm. but if you do 500 words and you take that time 30 days, you, you're going to have a book in a couple of months. It takes me about nine months to write a book. I tell people it takes me about the same amount of time to write a book as it does to make a baby, nine months, <laughs> you know, and yeah. it's, that's the process of just uh, getting it. And for instance, uh, if I'm doing a fiction book, I'll, I'll just make a, I'll take a paper and I'll just write a bunch of notes. And my notes are just one or two words that jar a memory. And so, and I don't even necessarily, like for instance, the, uh, the Miracle Journey and the Don't Wait Too Long book were written not necessarily from front to back. They were written as individual stories. And then, then we, my editor and I group them together as, and once it's done. Now on, on hikings, biking, you have a starting point and a stopping point. So it's easy to write that. You've, you've done that. But if you're writing a fiction book, then it's a little bit different. But um, if you don't commit to writing a certain amount of birds in a day and you quit writing for a few days, it's so hard to get started mm -hmm. again. But like a, a, you can make it 300 words if you want to. And if, you, if you do 300 words a day for 30 days, that's 9,000 words right there. So in, mm -hmm. in six months, you've got 50 some thousand words. I like to be in the 60s, middle 60s. Most of these books are like the 65, 70,000 words for a nice book. Uh, literally, I used to have the, the, the Pilgrim book and the Mississippi book. Used to be one book called, Don't, used to be called Stuck in the Weeds. That book is still available on Amazon. And it's just got both stories in it. I just decided to split them out. Okay. Uh, um, but because uh, there's so such a different uh, journey. But uh, yeah, you just just commit to a certain amount of words a day. And then also what I would do in the summer, I like to be outside. So I tell myself, if you get your 500 words in, you can go on a bike ride. You can go walking, you know, but commit to doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not saying it's easy because for me, it's not because I get distracted. <laughs> it wouldn't Sun's be easy out, for me either. You know, yeah. But if you if you commit and you say if you decide you want to do 300 words a day you can literally do that in a, in a half an hour if you have it the story in your mind now what i do it's like when i go walking i'll walk because i can think better when i walk and so i'll just get my phone out and and and, and notes and just talking in, the, in there 
And uh, so I come back home and I have that on there and I can write. But uh, three, four hundred words a day, um, you'll get a book out in a couple of months. As far as the, the rough draft. The of rough it. draft, yeah. And then hire an editor. Go, go on the online and put on there or find somebody that you know that's uh, been in maybe a school teacher, somebody that knows grammar. Uh, I know a guy named Paul that has a good editor. <laughs> he does. <laughs> Done 13 of them. Yeah. And, uh, and she's, she's actually looking for work, too. So, and she's a great editor, too. So if you write a book and you want to edit it, uh, and, yeah, I, I, can, I, I, I help people. I have a lot of people ask me, and I say, I'm, I'm absolutely happy to help anybody. Uh, I never look at anybody that's going to write something as competition uh, because you help somebody that you're doing, you're doing good. Yep. So, yep. And I believe in the law of sowing and reaping. And, uh, well, it's, it's played out quite a few times in, in your missions for sure. Yeah. I mean, you've seen, you've seen how yeah. that works in a real way. So I, I've just always been interested in, like I say, these, these works represent a huge accomplishment to me. And I've always been interested in the mindset behind it because, uh, I mean, it's really, in my mind, if, uh, in my mind, of course, you've taken it, obviously, 10, 10 levels above, but in my mind, it's like, this is a way to, uh, you talk about it, we talk about eternity as Christians, this is a way to uh, immortalize yourself, essentially, um, for the generations to come, uh, to at least, you know, reap the, the rewards of what you experienced in your relatively yeah. short time here on this earth. So I think it's a worthy, yeah. worthy um, cause. Yeah. And know? I think about that too, is when I write, like for instance, I've got seven grandkids and I'm, I don't think any of them read them. Cause my oldest, my oldest one's four or 15, uh, but someday they will. Uh, I mean, I don't be here anymore. And they'll read yeah. that and say, my grandfather did that. Mm -hmm. yeah. He did that. Yeah. I look at that. My grandfather was an Amish man. Now, Amish men are typically aren't, aren't that spiritual, but my Amish grandfather was literally filled with the Holy Spirit, and he wrote books. My grandfather, Amish man, wrote books. Un wow. Unheard of it. And so, and then my dad wrote poetry, and I, and I wrote books. And so, yeah, it's, it's a legacy. It, it mm -hmm. really is. And your story is, needs to be told, because you're going to, you, you have, the preacher on Sunday said, we have time, talent, and treasure, and influence. You have influence, and you have, if you have all the rest, too. But I, my heart goes out to these veterans that come home and, and don't know what to do with their life. Mm -hmm. And it's like, they're, they're in deep grief. They're in depression. They're in grief. And you've, you've taken what you've learned and you're helping other people now. Uh, Blake was telling me last night, a lot of the people you've got, they're, they're people that have money and you think they should be happy, but they're not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You take them out to nature, you get them starting talking. And all of a sudden, you'll have them weeping tears of regrets or tears of recognition of what's possible out there. Yep. And so, and with your podcasting and you get your book out there, uh, you need to help th these veterans. They, 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 they've, they've risked their life. They deserve better. And this is coming from somebody who was raised anti-military. Yeah. That was my upbringing in, in the Amish man, I, I belief is you don't join the military. Mm -hmm. and uh i told blake last night and I, as i grew older and realized that and i we talked this last night if, if somebody came to my house to hurt my wife and children could i kill that person and the answer is yes i would i would protect my family yeah i would love well, always protects yeah and who's my family is it just my family no it's my neighbor too yeah well who's my neighbor it's biblical your neighbors everybody and it's your country and so these people that have risked their lives 
they're in this high energy adrenaline and they come back when i come back from these it's the very same thing on a smaller scale yeah it's over that that part's over and so often it's just like the relationship i had with this lady it's it's over and it's past but so often my mind is still back in that mm -hmm. past it's mm -hmm. still back there and it's just part of the grieving process and these veterans are grieving they're grieving what they've given up and there's they have they don't see hope yeah you got to have hope yeah you got to have hope you got to have a reason to get up out of bed hope and, and purpose yeah, yeah exactly you're right and there's in and, and there's so much they could do and uh helping other people and sometimes that's the best way to heal from a loss like i've done or anybody else is help somebody else yeah you know, and, and so doing you'll help yourself i want to ask you the last thing i, I really want to cover paul is uh and first of all thank you for that explanation for that encouragement I, I don't think that you'll i don't think that you quite understand how much this conversation has impacted me um i, I really don't it makes no difference to me i want people to listen to this because i want them to know who you are paul and i want them to get the value out of it but if nobody listened to this if this conversation has impacted me greatly greatly um well so if it has that this, must be why i'm here yeah i mean it's just you know, it, so thank you for that. I, I want to, real quick for the listeners, I think a lot of people that will listen to this say, here's this guy, Paul Stutzman. He's done all these amazing missions. He's he's outlined them. He's got all these stories. And, and you know, but, but they're going to think that things like this are unattainable for them. Right, they, they just—that's the mindset I think that a lot of people, even high achievers, even intelligent, educated people, are going to think. You know, I could never bike across America. Um, I could never hike the Appalachian Trail. I could never get outside and explore, and and de and develop these stories and these experiences and slow down and pour into other people and learn from other people. Like, I, I think that's unattainable in most people's mind what advice would you give to people that are in that mindset because obviously you broke it you broke away you broke out of that somehow you broke out of it i mean you were living the life that i think most people live you mm -hmm. were you were making great money you had this you had this massive responsibility over all these people you had a family but you broke out of that and now look at you man Look, you're you're here with us, pouring into us with all this uh -huh. amazing stuff that yeah. never would have happened if you wouldn't have broke out of that mindset. Yeah. How? Fear of failure. Fear. Fear of the unknown. It's the fear. If it's what if I start it and can't finish it? What if I start it and fail? Well, then you come home. It's it's the fear of the unknown, and it's it's literally not. I have I have in my pocket a little thing here that says courage. I carry it with me mm. because I myself need courage. And it reminds me, every time I reach in my pocket, I feel that courage. I have the courage to step out. I have the courage. For instance, if somebody would say, you know what, I like to ride a bike, but I, I bike ride across America. How would I do that? My answer is get your bike out to the, the coast and get on the bike and pedal. That's <laughs> yeah. how you do it. Yeah. You know? Now, yeah, now you might want to do some research, okay? What, how about... What kind of bike would be good? Well, I need a road bike. Or, or The thing of it is, there's a lot of things I don't know. But what I don't know, I know where to go to find out. There's always somebody that, that knows what I don't know. So do some research. Go to a bike shop. I'm thinking about doing a bike ride across America. What do you recommend? 
when I was going to do my bike ride, I had a I had an old giant that I had bought years ago. And I, I went to the bike shop and said, I think I'm going to take my giant across America. And the Amish guy looked at me and said, you're crazy. He said, you need a specialized 30 speed, which I knew I did. And so I did. I bought that specialized bike with a narrow tires and a torture rack for a seat and uh, had it flown out the, out the West Coast. And uh, I did research as far as my inner tube and a repair kit. And I bought a $50 repair kit. I'd never, I had never really done much repair work on a bicycle. And I asked the guy, if this happens to my brakes, if this happens to my calipers, how do I fix it? He said, here's a kit. He said, if you break down, you'll figure it out. Well, that's pretty much either figure it out or you don't. But in my case, I always know any problem has a solution. You may not know the solution, but there's somebody that will know. So if you want to do a hike, go to a, go to an outdoor store. Those people are very happy to help you. Yeah. You know, and there's, and anymore with resources available on the internet, there's really no reason to be ignorant about anything you're mm -hmm. interested in because it's right there. If you want to do the Community of Santiago, there's all kinds of blogs on, on, on the Community of Santiago. Uh, and there's all kinds of people that have done it. Uh, if you want to go to Israel, there's all kinds of people doing tour groups. If you want to go and experience nature and hiking, there's you, you know. If you don't know what you're doing, just, just, just ask. Uh, but people are afraid of failure there and the fear it's basically it's the fear of the unknown i had that extreme fear when i left my job is you you're going to walk away from this job that you really like for the unknown mm -hmm. well i wouldn't have done it if i didn't really think that god was in it yeah but uh and, and to give up a job that's not everybody's going to do that at age 58 give up a job uh which but for me it was obviously it's the right thing for me to do yeah it was and it's, it's also in life, I spent too many years thinking about what I wanted and I want to achieve this, I want to do this, this and this. And uh, I finally realized, you know what? I, this life here is, is finite, it's over so quickly. And I read somewhere recently, there's, there's no such thing as time, only clocks. So we live in an eternity that we, we can't grasp but apparently yeah. it always existed and always will and so we're in this little blip here somewhere in the middle that we we measure it by clocks and increments of time weeks but once we go beyond this life it's forever it doesn't end and so if i can send things ahead of me that's what i want to do yep. and so there's a lot of people there's people who can give money well i don't have a lot of money i, I have more than a lot but i i have i have words that I, I have my talent is words mm -hmm. that change lives and that's what you do speaking there. And it's what we do. And we can do that in our daily walk. Be Jesus to somebody. Yeah. It's, it's not that hard, really. Yeah. No, I, lo I love that, Paul. And it's a wonderful perspective. And, and two, I think the example that you set also, Paul, is uh, you don't have to be independently wealthy to experience adventure in life. Uh, you Age obviously does not matter. Paul got started at 58 years yeah, old. Yeah. Quit quit telling yourself that you're too old to do this stuff or quit telling yourself in some cases that you're too young to do this stuff. And sex doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. That doesn't matter at all. You can experience adventure in life if, like Paul said, you can get over that fear of failure, find your courage, right? 
and just go. Just go. And these stories are more valuable than the financial wealth that you'll accumulate back home. I promise you the stories are more valuable. They last forever. They don't rust, mold, rot, and no one can take them from you. No one can. Um, Blake, what you got, brother? I think uh, a lot of people will get bogged down, just like Paul said, in the fear of failure. But I, I look at things like the the Mississippi misadventure there. You know, you said, look, I'm just going to find a canoe or a kayak, and I'm going to buy it, and I'm going to go out there and do it. If, you, if you're trying to anticipate what is to come and almost – solve your problems before they come. That's where people get bogged right, down and right. they don't go. And, yeah. and what I see in you and people that, that do a lot of amazing things is they just do what, do their due diligence, yeah. their research, and then say, well, let's just start it. Yeah, and that's and I've told people that too. It's so many people I've met on the, up, up the trail, they want to know anything that could possibly go wrong. Yeah. And you, you can't, you, you just can't do that. You just deal with it day to day because it's the, the biggest thing that'll happen is something you can't even prepare for. Mm-hmm. And, the, and that's when you find who you really are. How do I overcome whatever this problem in front of yep. me is? And I, I tell people any problem, I don't care what it is, whether it's in, in churches or politics or society has a solution. It's just finding that solution. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in the same way you want to do, if you want to do a hike, uh, and you, and you're afraid to do a, hundred miles do 10 yeah go out to a trail and walk one mile then extend to two and then to five and uh you'll be amazed what you can do and you'll feel good and then you, what happens when you're out there walking your heart's pumping and it's pumping more blood up to your brain and you can think clear you just think clearly and all of a sudden you're going to be looking around you're going to see the flowers the birds and, yep. and it's just and life just has a different perspective when rather than sitting at home hoping wishing thinking you know what why it is why is nothing happening yep. in my life well go out and meet life you know and and do and do it it doesn't have to be a big adventure what you guys do you know take them out camping for a weekend and if you like that do your research get some good equipment and go for a week take your son your daughter with you and eventually you might want to do a, a through hike or a ride across america or, or the community santiago that camino hike is would be a beautiful hike for a husband wife to do yeah, uh, and it's it's not that it's not that difficult. I was doing probably ten miles a day, eleven miles a day, and I was done by one, two o'clock. And then they have the siesta, and you sit around and talk. And these old villages, oh, they're so beautiful. It's just incredible. These old towns in in Europe, they don't tear the buildings down like we do. They, yeah, they fix them up, and it's just the history, the culture, uh, and the food. The food is incredible. Like I like to try new things mm-hmm. and. Uh, uh, so it's it's there's just so much like I thought well, like we started with we're children of God literally if you can comprehend that it's hard to but literally we are children of God sons and daughters mm-hmm. and we're heirs to everything and once we view it from that point of view it gives you a little bit different outlook on life when you realize that 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 is truth that's it brother it's truth and yeah. then it also then and the next thing would be like we didn't talk that much about the Israel trip but about realizing that uh i just talked to somebody not a couple days ago and and they were talking to this other person about jesus being a man a human and the person said no no he wasn't and they couldn't grasp that and maybe they couldn't grasp that a person could be human and not sin but uh 
once and and someday you will go to Israel. And if you ever decide to go to Israel, check with me because I've I've got a few really good leaders that you can go with. Okay, and that are incredible. Uh, that uh, and it would be an, be an amazing fit to change your life. It it really will. Uh, just walking where Jesus walked. Mm-hmm. And the reason I named it the Thirteenth Disciple is on I, that day is a Friday that I walked to the over to the Sea of Galilee, and on Friday night. All the Jewish people are at sundown or inside in their houses, and so I had to I had to see a guy I did myself. It's just me sitting out there, and I, in my mind, I visualized Jesus walking down the shore toward me, and as he approached me, I said, "Jesus, I want to be your disciple." And Jesus says, "I already got 12. and so okay, I'll be number thirteen. <laughs> in essence, we we all are, and uh, so That's this has been idea. really, really challenging to me. Just to, I mean, I'd like to set up something like this and and do some kind of, you know, I think big is relative, but, you know, it, it's big, like you said, big for someone could be 10 miles or it could be 2,000 miles. It So it challenges me in that. It challenges me that you got the book, Don't Wait Too Long, but if you feel like you have waited too long, also it's never too late. No, absolutely. You know, because look at what you started at, yeah. at 58 and then what you've accomplished moving forward from there and so it's never too late to start today regardless of right. of how how old you are you know how far you are yeah and people for instance on the on the hike appalachian trail like there's a lot of people that plan like, like a year in advance of, of what they're going to do mm-hmm. and, and they dehydrate food and it's fine uh, i planned this hike about a month before i left and decided to go do it bought my equipment wow. and uh and so it's uh yeah, you, it's you. I'm, I just turned seventy, and I wouldn't be afraid to go do the hike again. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing you know, and I tell people getting in shape. Like in the morning, uh, people would get some of the hikers would get up and they're 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 exercising, pushing against a tree, stretching. I'd put my backpack on and I'd head down the trail. <laughs> <laughs> to me, that's that's getting in shape right there. That's yeah. it. Man. Yeah. Well, it, and I I'm I'm right there with you, Blake. I mean, I don't use the word inspiring much. But this was an inspiring story, yeah. man. It really, and it's not over. It's it's not over. I yeah. cannot wait to see how God continues to use you, Paul. Yeah. Uh, what your what what your who who you find to share life with? Yeah. I know I know you're seeking, and so I know that that the door will be opened for you. I have faith that that will happen. Yeah. Um, and gosh, it just I we have really met a true brother in Christ today that can inspire us all. Mm-hmm. No matter at what level you've achieved in life, Paul, you have got to keep pushing and telling your story, man, because wow. it is absolutely amazing. I, I want to know, uh, just for and all this will be in the show notes of this episode, but I want to know where people can find you, follow you, find your books, whatever. Um, I have a website. It's my name, paulstutzman.com, or my first book, hikingthrough.com. Either one of those will take them to my website where all my books are listed, and from there they can order them from Amazon. Uh, I have on the, on the, on the uh, website is my contact information. All of my books have my email address. You know, I'm very easy to get a hold of. Yeah. So my email is pstutzman at roadrunner.com. They can get a hold of me there. Uh, but if they go on, on hikingthrough.com or paulstutzman.com, It'll, it'll take them to my website where they can order the books. So, And we're going to get Paul on Instagram 
one of these days. Right. Yeah. yeah, he's on Facebook now, yeah. right, Paul? Yeah, Is I gotta, that just I, that your name? I gotta, I gotta start promoting. And you, you literally have inspired me to, to do this because I always thought I want to. I need to do a podcast, but I got nothing to say. It's like what do I, what do I say? And I realized <laughs> <laughs> I got a lot to say. You know? Yeah, brother. Yeah. And there's one thing I want to say yet before we end this thing is is because you, you reminded me of it is. The reason I did all this is because my wife passed away. So when she passed away, it's easy to think, I lost my spouse, my life is over. Yeah. Well, that door closed, but this opened up. Yeah. And so that's that's the power of, of, of honoring Jesus, following God is, yeah. And, and part of that book is questioning every day. I'm questioning God. Where were you when my wife died? Were you there? I could have made a case that it was... He was there or he wasn't there. I could admit a case. It's random. People live, people die. I could admit a case that God took my wife and she's fine. She's healed. She's in heaven. And because of that, I've done this. Mm -hmm. And so I, and I know because my wife passed away, gave me the opportunity to do this. If my wife would have been alive, I'd, I'd probably still be working at the restaurant. Fortunately, I left at age 58, 20 years in the minute in that management with half a brain intact yet. Yeah. <laughs> I lost half of it. Yeah. So just managing it. If I'd be there or not, I'd probably have about a fourth or at most left. Mm -hmm. Amazing what you can do with a half a brain. <laughs> <laughs> that stress is hard on you, man. Mm -hmm. yeah. really but I is. want people to know that, you know what, in some, when life knocks you down, whether you lost your job or whether you lost your spouse, you know, there's still hope. But there's a grieving process. Yeah. You've, and you've got to go, there's no shortcut. Yeah. You've got to go through that grieving process because if you don't, it's going to crop up sometime. Yeah. And in my case, when I've grieved my wife and I've grieved this relationship for two years now, I can look back and I've honored that relationship. I've honored that love I had for this lady with yeah. deep grieving. And this is why I know I've loved her so much is because I grieve so much. I love deeply and I grieve deeply. And, uh, and that's just life. You know? I love that. There's no, yeah, there is no shortcut to that. And I yeah. think that's what causes a lot of pain right. and a lot of people that, that it, it does end with that because they don't, they do try to shortcut that process. Right. It's right? painful. You, you, you exactly just want right. the pain to end. You just want that pain to go away. So what am I going to do? I'm just going to go out and marry somebody. The pain's going, nope. Well, I, I must say in my own life, I mean, I've, sh I've shortcut some processes of grieving in my own life because life just happens. It just keeps coming, man. <laughs> And, and well, you get tired of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's also so. why a lot of people turn to drugs and alcohol. Yeah. It's, you just want to deaden the pain. And you, I can't blame them for it because I felt it. I felt the pain several times in my life. And it's like, and I've dialogued. At age, at age 15, I lost a, a friend. I was on a bicycle beside me and he got killed. And, I, and he's in the hospital dying and I'm dialoguing with God that God, I'll be a missionary. I'll do anything. I'll do save this kid's life. Well, that guy died. And it's like, why? You know? And that's been 60, almost 55 years ago, more, actually more than that. But, uh, and I still remember it, just like it happened last night. And uh, it's, why? Why? Yeah. He's 15. My wife was 53. Uh, so life is precious. Yeah. Amen to that, brother. Well, Paul, it's been an honor, man. Uh, you know, I can't, like I say, I just, I can't wait to dig into these books. You guys that got something out of this, Reach out to Paul. Let him know. <clears throat> let him know what you got out of it. Thank him for being here. Thank him. He took out. He made a tremendous in, uh, investment in his time to come here and share these lessons with us. So we just ask that you'd reach out and thank him. Everybody that supports this podcast on Patreon, we want to thank you for paying for Paul's trip to yep. come out here and share with all of us. 
Um, that's what we use the money from Patreon. We use that so we can have people like Paul out and we can pay for their trip. And, and we're honored to be able to do that. We're honored that you guys support us in that way. So thank you for doing that. Um, this has been awesome, brother. Uh, Appreciate can't it. thank you enough. Well, you know what, when you invited me here, I thought we had this on, on, on zoom and you said, do you like to have it in here? And I know why now. And I, you, you've inspired me as much as I've inspired you. So it, it's going both ways. And so I, I, I will, I will start blogging. I have more to say than I thought. Praise <laughs> God, brother. I love it. All right, guys, this is the three of seven podcast. Enough said. <laughs>